Colin's Last Stand Knockback is brought to you by, well, you. Knockback, in addition to the interview podcast series Fireside Chats and the weekly YouTube show dedicated to video games called SideQuest, is fan-funded over at patreon.com slash Stand. and without you, none of these shows would exist. If you like Knockback or any of what Colin's Last Stand does, please consider going to Patreon and showing your support. You can even get cool perks in return, like early access to shows, the ability to vote on future show topics, exclusive Q&As, and much more. Thank you for believing in Colin's Last Stand. Now, on to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the first ever episode of Colin's Last Stand's all-new podcast series. We're calling it Knockback, and I want to thank you for joining us today. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined by my brother, my older brother, Dagan Moriarty. Dagan, how are you? I'm doing good. Welcome to California. Thank you. It's good to be here. You haven't been here in a while. You lived in LA a long time ago. I did. It's been a while. It's been a long time. It's How- been since 2001, actually. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, summer summer 2001, spring 2001? Uh, yeah. I think it was the summer. Yeah, you're so right. You, it's funny. Pre-9-11. That's how I always, ju- I always yes. judge that, that turnover. I know. In time. It's like, a, it's like a, a war or something, like where you look at it before and after. No, it really is. Um, now, Dagan, you flew out here to Santa Monica so we can do this series together. That's correct. I'm going to come to you next time. And uh, we're going to record eight of these episodes. This is episode one once more. Uh, we're going to base this one on The Empire Strikes Back because I think this is a a great topic to kind of segue into our series and kind of feel things out. We know this very intimately, this movie. This movie is a bond that we share with each other. And I know this is also a bond that we share with a lot of the audience. This is a, a beloved movie considered one of the great movies of all time. Absolutely. And I feel like... It's worth noting that, you know, knockback similar to the original CLS, similar to SideQuest, similar to Fireside Chats, it's going to adapt and evolve based on your feedback out there, kind of how we figure things out as we go along as well. And so keep that feedback coming. Leave comments here on Patreon or, or elsewhere. You can always tweet at me um, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we want to adapt and mold this to your specifications. So this show isn't locked in stasis. It's going to be an ever-changing kind of product. But the general idea behind CLS Knockback, and the reason that we wanted to name it that, is we want to kind of knock back uh, ourselves and, and you guys and, and kind of our memories. And and, and in, a, in a time when we are so stuck on the present and the future, it's fun to kind of look back at the way things were and to kind of enjoy or criticize or simply speak about or talk about or discuss the things that we love from the past that are nerdy, whether it's a movie, a video game, television show, comic book, cartoon, toy, whatever the case might be. It's all on the agenda. <laughs> so, Dagan, The Empire Strikes Back came out May 21st, 1980. It's obviously the sequel. It's episode five, technically, but it was originally written as Star Wars 2. Um, and I am interested in your feedback originally uh, from the the first run of the movie in the spring and summer of 1980 because you were alive. I wasn't alive yet. Yes. I was... I was uh, four and a half years away at that point from from existing. <laughs> so um, crazy. So <laughs> making me feel so old. So as we kind of ease into the Empire Strikes Back discussion, yeah, I'm curious about what your initial memories are of that time and of that place. Okay, you know what? I love first of all, Kyle. Thank you. I love what you said about you know trying to um, look back and enjoy the things from the past. Because you know what I was thinking about today on the plane coming in. It's like. We had our last Jedi discussion, which I loved. Right. So it was so great. I really enjoyed that. But it occurred to me, like, it's so funny with Star Wars movies now. 
I guess we're conditioned from the debacle, which is the prequels, was that I want we I we as Star Wars fans collectively, I think I, I it's fair to say, watch these Star Wars movies like where it's like it's like defense we it's like a defensive film watching thing. It's like I don't watch any other movies like this. It's like I'll go into a Star Wars movie now, like The Last Jedi, for instance. It's almost like you literally sit down, cross your arms, and are like, "All right, show, all right, show me something that's actually good." Right, right. I agree. Like that's the attitude. Yep, absolutely. It's a, it's such a shame, but that really is like that really is the stance, right? It's it's so funny because it's like I almost feel like I'm literally taking a giant. I have this image of taking a giant hourglass and flipping it. And being like, all right, I know this movie's two and a half hours long. What are you going to do in this two and a half hours to make this a quality viewing experience? Right. So it's so nice to go back to like the pre-prequel era when we when a Star Wars movie was just different. We didn't have that you know defensive attitude about it yet. And The Empire Strikes Back. So it came out. I was born in late '73. I like to say I was born in '74, but that's not true. So I was born in '73. And so I was eight, I guess I was seven or eight. Was I eight, seven or eight? So you're about the age, more or less, of your son right now. Which yes. Is, which is interesting. So you can kind yeah. of see it through his lens. Absolutely. That. Which is really helpful, actually. And I, I remember, I specifically remember going to see this movie with, obviously you weren't born yet, with mom and dad. And I believe both of the girls, both of our sisters were with us as well. We saw it out in Nassau County on Long Island. I don't know why that was the case. We probably were visiting grandma or something. We lived just to, for for, right. for arguments. We lived in Suffolk County, which is right. the further east of the two counties. Exactly along. right. So we were out west, you know, near Queens and Nassau County, and we saw it out there in the theater. And I remember like really specific memories. Mom and dad weren't feeling like buying like you know the the snacks at the concession stand because it was expensive. So we had like the box of fiddle faddle from the supermarket. <laughs> You know, like I totally, I totally remember this. I think it was the same day too. We got like a couple of the Empire Strikes Back drinking glasses from Burger King. Like I remember the whole thing was like an event, which we still have. I think, right? You yeah, have Dad just gave me one. I think the remaining one that didn't break, which was luckily like the Lando and Bo- like the Cloud City one. Oh, nice, Excellent. super, super sweet. So, and I remember going in, and I was so excited, and it was so exciting. And even from that point of time. It's easy to see why, you know, it's so often said and it's such a like a it's such a common thing now for a Star Wars fan to say it, but it really is the barometer and the measuring stick by which we measure the, all the Star Wars films. You know what I mean? It's just a special movie. Not only is it a great Star Wars movie, it's just a great movie and you know, I've been really contemplating the reasons why that is and I'm sure we'll get into all that from your your end and my end. But yeah, I loved it from day one that movie just came in a complete package of the movie those if you ask a star wars toy collector a vintage toy collector they'll tell you like that was the best toy line that was just star wars at its peak i'm I'm also actually a big fan of return of the jedi i love return of the jedi i I am too and i know you are too we feel the same way about that and i know a lot of people sort of you know are detractors of that movie especially compared to empire but empire was really really a special and is a special film and um yeah i can't wait to break it down and really and really talk about it with you and i'm not one of those people that questioning why and oh maybe it's not that great and maybe we were just kids and 
no, there's definite reasons why this is a, a wonderful movie, and I'm glad we're doing the podcast topic about it. So I'm so psyched. To I think it this. is a good first inaugural episode because we have such a command of the movie, for one. But I also think, to your point, there's a cultural resonance to this movie amongst nerds generally. Even if you aren't a Star Wars fan, but are cursorily familiar with sci-fi, or you're just in nerd culture in some respect, I feel like everyone understands that Return of the Jedi as good as it was, in my opinion, and A New Hope, obviously, as good as it was, that Empire is kind of maybe sort of the most important movie in our space ever created, regardless of where, if you're in, if you cross over into fantasy or you're more in a post-apocalyptic or dystopian stuff, whatever the case might be. I just think that this movie is super interesting. And what I'm always fascinated about when I read about it or watch movies or interviews or whatever is that there was a, a more a mixed re- mixed reaction to it apparently when it came out and this is something that I can't speak to in terms of the zeitgeist at the time because I wasn't alive and it's not really something you can speak to either because you were so young yeah but there are if you go back and read some interesting contemporary reviews for the movies some people really didn't like it and obviously it didn't matter because it was huge. Right. Um, it's grossed uh, since then, including the special editions in the 90s, like over $500 million. So it's given George Lucas his investment back because he did and he did fund the movie himself. And we can talk about that yeah, in a minute. But, that's right. Yeah. Um, which was incredibly smart. Uh, at the <laughs> Incredibly smart move. But I do love that this movie is one of those cultural touchstones for us. And not only for you and I as brothers, not only for you and I as nerds, but really for all of us. And so I think that it's a movie worth examining and enjoying. And I think in this particular podcast, because as I said in the beginning, sometimes we'll criticize, and I'm sure we have things to criticize here, and sometimes we'll simply discuss. But this is a celebration of this movie, I think, because it really is excellent. And to your point about Jedi, it's funny how the trajectory of Jedi had changed since the prequels, because, and even since the new movies, because suddenly we had these movies that were demonstrably way worse than anything that happened in the in the original trilogy. Right, yeah. And so now everyone started to disparage Jedi in the sense of like, well, we kind of saw what was happening with Jedi with the Ewoks and we kind of saw what was happening. And I'm like, I kind of feel like you're missing in the forest for the trees. Yes. No pun intended since a lot of it took place on Endor. <laughs> but we'll save that for another, because we can do a whole another episode on on um, on Jedi. On Jedi. Yeah. So, all right. So you told me about this, this memory you have of going, you're seeing it in Nassau County with yeah. mom and dad, yeah. with, with Dana and Allie. Now, just did you start to sneak in the outside snacks and drinks like you do now? That's like a I good just, point. I just went and saw the post, okay. and I went to McDonald's beforehand, and and I wore my Northeastern hockey jacket, right? And I put two cheeseburgers in my pocket, and then I and then I <laughs> and then I walked in and ate cheeseburgers during the. And there was I love this woman. That. There was this woman sitting in front of me, and she you could tell she like was like smelling something that didn't belong there. <laughs> that's and I was amazing. Just, and I was just sitting there like eating my cheeseburger. Oh, that's as, amazing! As just Meryl Streep's giving her giving her award winning performance. <laughs> that is great. But. Did you was it was it that's just a random aside, but it is worth. I talking like that. About. I like that question, but you know, uh, if you think about it, I mean, think about Dad. You have to know Colin and I's father. He he's super unapologetic. I'm, I'm sure uh, the me- as as my memory will you know t- tell me, and I think this is correct. He just took the box out, ripped it open, and we started eating it. I mean, there was no, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just see, like, a very brazen, like, display of, like, yeah, we got fiddle fat. I also remember I also remember being in the front row for some reason, which is weird. Like, I don't remember ever seeing movies in the front row. And I have I have memories of almost every movie I've, I saw in the 80s. Karate Kid, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future. Like, I remember all these very vividly. But That's Empire, pretty wild. That's excellent. Empire That's excellent. is probably the oldest one. Even... Older than E.T., right? Yeah, I think E.T. So E.T. came a year later. So 
I think so. Yeah, somewhere in there. I do have very vivid memories of seeing that. And yeah, the fiddle faddle was definitely right front and center. Mom and dad weren't trying to buy snacks at $5 a pop from the concession right. stand where we could get the fiddle faddle at Woolbaum's for a buck 50 or so, whatever. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 99 that's, cents I mean, or whatever. That's, that's not a surprise to me at all. <laughs> so what did, what did you think of it at the time? Because I, I, I can't say that I remember the first time I saw Empire. I, don't, I, don't, I can't say I remember the first time I saw any of them. What I do remember is that we had a copy of Empire on VHS, I want to say, or, or, or we rented it. In some regard, it was when I realized that VHSs back in the day cost like $90 a piece or $80 it a was piece. There was, there was a price tag on the box. I don't know if it was our box oh, that's or um, Maybe it was, was like the box? rental box or something, but huh. there was a price tag on there okay. that I remember where I'm like, wow, I had no idea. That VHS technology was so expensive. Oh my god! And just the, wait till you get to the anime when when anime was underground episode. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it that, was insane. It was no. You're right, and it might have been if you think about thirty dollars a pop for a VHS movie. We had the box, the VHS box set. Maybe that was ninety bucks. That's three movies. Yeah, the, the box set was awesome with Vader's face. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. All, yeah. That so was, who knows? Maybe it was. Maybe that was right. Accurate. Uh, so. What do you did you like it? Initially? I loved it in comparison to A New Hope as well. Like, did you yeah. think it was better? Did you did was it worth the wait? Yeah, I think I think as a seven eight year old back then in nineteen eighty, what struck me about The Empire Strikes Back on a visceral level really was the imagery. Now we we talk about it in retrospect, Star Wars fans and movie fans and cinephiles and everything. We say that's the darkest Star Wars movie. When you're little, what you're really experiencing there is this is actually, this is tonally, this feels a little, it feels dangerous. It feels like there's something heavy going on here. And I'm not just talking, it's from the very beginning of the movie. I mean, the scale and the sense of danger with the adats, and like I remember this being kind of haunted by the the appearance of like the snow troopers, you know they have the, this crazy, uh, you know the I know they're stormtroopers in their snow gear. They just look menacing. Yeah, the smoothness of the it's almost like one outfit that yeah that blurs the helmet into the. You knew it was a stormtrooper, yeah. but it was like a different iteration of a stormtrooper. There was an, an impending danger. Like one of the big things is like. You think about how New Hope ends, and I think inherently I couldn't articulate this as a seven-year-old, but when you think about it in retrospect, you were you were sensing this as a kid. A New Hope ends, right? These young kids met, they saved the galaxy together from this you know this this sinister presence, and everything's upbeat. They're celebrating, they're getting awards and everything like that. Empire Strikes Back starts. And they're they're on their heels running from something. And you're like, everything was so upbeat. Why is it so all of a sudden it's like impending danger and everything like that? And I think that was very striking. That that sense of it from very early in the movie was very striking. Right from the beginning, it's like the stakes are really high. Luke's going out. He's on his last legs. He gets attacked by this giant snow monster. Han has to go out and save him. They're warning him not to do it. He does it, finds Luke. You know, Luke's on his dying breaths. Basically, he has to cut open this dying animal and stuff his friend inside. It's like, it's heavy. As a kid, you're transfixed by what's going on on the screen. It's like, these guys are just up. They were getting awards and like celebrating and cheering and all these adults were telling them how great they are. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, you know, they're 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 running scared. And I think as a kid, it was like, what? This is, uh, this is unbelievable. And the ad-ats were, it's such haunting imagery. 
you know, such creepy, almost like Salvador Dali-esque sort of things, like these giant mechanized snow robots. And they're they're trudging along very slowly, almost like a, like a Michael Myers type pace. You know what I mean? It's like, but you can't escape it. That's what's so wild about the ads to me were the... Um was the slow lumbering pace. Oh, the, it's so because it really doesn't make any sense like why they they we're we're, we're going through intergalactic space and, right. or inter, it's really interstellar space with light speed and all this kind of stuff but we, right. we and we drop these huge mechanized four-legged things and they have to move this slow. <laughs> kind of it doesn't strange. Really, but it does it does create the foreboding and the fear that I think is is inherent in Hoth. I think Hoth is a really super impressionable and interesting portion of all of the Star Wars movies. Because of the the resonance that it has with what we saw and what we knew of Star Wars and the New Hope, so if you if you encapsulate a New Hope as all that you knew about Star Wars at the time, which is obviously it, what you know is you, a desert planet with right. massive scope. You know Mos Eisley, and then you know the Millennium Falcon, and then you know the Death Star, and that's pretty much it. Right. So you have a desert planet that's wide open, scarcely populated, a city full of, you know, a bustling economy and then and then obviously the cantina with a lot of aliens that are introduced to you. And then you basically are just on the Falcon and then basically you know, you, much of the movie takes place on the Death Star. So you're right. introduced to the Empire and it's kind of more claustrophobic feeling. So Hoth, I think recaptures that openness yeah. that you see on Tatooine, but also this idea that no, it's not just desert planets, no, it's not just you know what's going on on this very industrial scale. I but love that, that point. That's it's this far flung planet, and they're hiding. And I and I and I like the what you say there about well, what 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 the fuck happened? What happened? And and <laughs> it's fascinating that you, because they don't really ever tell you right. much. No, and there are there were I don't know like what's canon and what's not anymore. But they there used to be stuff that would fill in the gaps a little bit there. The gap between Empire and Jedi is way more interesting. But the the there is a gap there where you know they're, they're on the run because they they lost a lot yeah. in the Battle of the Death Star. They lost ships and materiel, and and um, and they had to get away. And it kind of suggests that the Empire has this scale that is far greater than this one Death Star, which is yeah. incredible considering it's a moon-sized space station that must have had hundreds of thousands of people on it. It shows how mighty they are, and I love that as well. And and to your point of Han cutting open uh, the Tauntaun to keep Luke warm, and I think we discussed this on the on the new on the uh, Last Jedi podcast, but I'm not sure. It's it's a thing that I've said many times actually is that I love that Han uses a lightsaber there. Yeah, like I love that because it's he, great. It's 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 just a great scene that is kind of a throwaway that they might not have even really meant anything by, but I liked seeing him like kind of fumble with it and turn it on and sure and look at it and yeah. just kind of very carefully handle it. So it's 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 a great opening scene. It's a foreboding scene. And I think to your point, it sets that dark tenor yeah, to the movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The stakes are really high from the very outset. Yeah, it's enthralling. I mean, as a kid, it was like, what? This is on the most unbelievable thing. Like, you know, it's just... And you sense... there's And there's so much... I was thinking about this too. Like, I don't have a problem with the acting in any of the original trilogy. I think some of it is better than, you know, some, some of the actors obviously have people like, you know, Cushing and of course, Sir Alec and everybody like that, you know, masterful actors, but all the acting in the original trilogy is serviceable. I mean, it's all good, but there's such a, there's for some reason, for whatever reason, I know it's the middle movie, but there's such a gravitas to the acting from everybody in this movie. There, there's very little, I mean, you could say things, you could say what you want, and we'll get to him, obviously, so important, but, uh, you know, Billy D's character and his sort of cadence and his sort of style, 
you know, the Colt 45-ish smooth guy type thing. But even him, like everybody works and I, it could it could also be the writing and just what's happening in the movie plot wise and, you know, all the business that's happening in the movie. But there's such a gravitas to the acting. I think it really lends itself to why this movie is considered so great and is so heralded as the best. You know, I think that's one of the big reasons. There's just the acting is so good in it. Characters big and small. You know, from my perspective, I, I really think that. You know, I, I really, I've been, I was really thinking about this this morning and, you know, that seems like such a big part of it. What's funny is, is that I think there's a different swagger with the actors moving into this project. And then I think it continues in the Jedi because when Lucas gets them all on board, these are mostly with the exception of Sir Alec and, 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 uh, and Tarkin and, and, and they're who are established actors these were kind of upstarts and nobody, you know, Harrison Ford did a little bit of this and that. And, and sure, yeah. You know, but Mark Hamill and, and et cetera were, were not anything at no. all. And that was part of what their allure was, I think, to the project and part of they were affordable and it was a shoestring budget. And also that's, I think, what Lucas wanted was people that weren't associated with anything else, but they also needed that gravitas of the more well-known actors and these more character bits. It's a good point. With like Obi-Wan. So I think they went into the movie kind of thinking that it was a throwaway. I know that depending on what you read about them filming the movie and in the time leading up to A New Hope's release in 1977 that some people say like we knew it was going to be big. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone really did and and or and no one I don't think anyone knew that it was going to be the phenomenon the no. cultural licensing money making money There's printing no phenomenon. You couldn't have predicted it. So this is a time detached from that where the movie has blown up they've been all over the world promoting it they're, they're stars now they have money and fame and so they go into Empire I think with some expectation that they are going to have to deliver something better. But I also think that they have more confidence in their acting. I think they have more confidence in their skill. I think they have more confidence in what they're doing and the expectations of what they're doing. And I think that that's parlayed on screen. So uh, to me, I think they're all great. Like, I think Mark Hamill gets some shit. I think, you know, Carrie Fisher gets <laughs> some does. shit for the acting and all that. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. I think Harrison Ford's really the standout in Empire. I think, I think the way Han... Han's arc is really the darkest of all of them. Yeah. And I think you could say that about Luke with the exception of kind of the I am your father kind of thing with Vader at the end, which is famous, obviously. I think that kind of makes him more human and less, it's less dramatic because you don't really know, in some respects, you don't really know like what's going to happen. Where sure. gonna go. You know there's another movie after this. That's also the other thing is that A New Hope ended and it was a self-encapsulated movie. It could have existed by itself and been done. So I think that there's probably something to that. But I don't, I don't know. You know, I just think everyone has just again a little bit more swagger in this yeah. movie, just a little bit more. I love that point. Yeah, that is fantastic point. I love Thank that. You. And they're equipped. And they're equipped. They have to know they're they're also equipped with this script, which is unbelievable. I mean, if 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 anything, you know, if if this was translated into the movie like we think it was, like this script must have they must have taken a look at this and be like, oh yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be amazing. You know, and like you said, it wasn't. It was. I think the critics were kind of divided on it when it came out, which, you know, of course, I you could go back and read now. I didn't know that as a seven-year-old. But, um, yeah, they had it. They had it. And like what you said about Hoth, too, I think the third point, which I would make besides, well, the fourth point, besides the script and the acting and sort of that sense of, like, the arc that it took, the seeming arc that it took from New Hope to Empire, I think the other bit is that this is, like, the original classic Lucas set piece movie starting with Hoth I mean you could say there were set pieces in Star Wars like you said the desert especially the most Eisley Cantina 
very memorable. But Hoth, I mean, this is a set piece movie. I mean, this movie is you could it's plotted around at set pieces. You have Hoth, you have that Dagobah swamp, you have Cloud City, and you, and you know little things in between like the, the asteroid, asteroid, the yeah. asteroid worm, and you could even break Hoth. I think you could even break uh, Cloud City rather. I think you could even break that into two set pieces. That city in the clouds, Lando type, ethereal, dreamy sort of, you know, city in the clouds type bit. And also later on, that kind of dark, sparsely lit setting for the duel. The duel. I think that's another whole set piece. That, that, that classic Star Wars imagery of like that, the style of lighting. You know, not only the style, not only the sparsely lit, but the shape of the lights. You know what I'm talking about with the colors. Yeah, it's like and grids. It's, and, and, it's like yeah. a grid and it's like, yeah, like... um sort of like the crescent, like that whole, that whole brilliant art direction that just, you look at it, one look at it, it's like, oh yeah, that's Star Wars. And I think that's another thing I, which I wasn't thinking about articulating, but now I'm thinking like the art direction. Ridiculous. There's just so much to talk about this movie. It's oh, it's almost overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it, it is. It's, it's, I think that people that are into film in a much deeper way than I am, and, and perhaps you are as well, because I'm not, you know, I'm not like an aficionado at all. Right. Can probably dissect any movie. You know, like this, and I, I, I can't. I mean, I, I could talk about movies I love, and I love sure. random, really random movies. But right. This one is easy because there is a lot packed into it, and as you said in the beginning, you know, it's it's in the title that it's telling you what the movie is, and and it's kind of telling you what you probably thought at the end of a New Hope, or you could conceivably think having gone into Star Wars fresh at the end of a New Hope, which is yeah. like. Well, there's gonna be some sort of retribution for this, right, and right. Uh, and so right, and so and there and there it is, and I and and, this is it. and and I and I love that it's it's one of those those situations where there's it just there is a little bit of a a beginning that has nothing to do with the empire. The probe droid, I guess, coming down is a kind of indicating that that the, the the jig is up immediately. Right, they're searching, but I but I also love this notion that it kind of just gets right into it, and yeah. that actually. Obviously, there's a great climax at the end with Vader and Luke, but the climax really you could you could make the case that in terms of action, in terms of suspense, that it actually happens at the very beginning of the movie. It's almost it's almost an inverse movie because it sets the stage for an an, an inverse approach to them running away. So I, I love that, and I and I I don't know why we love Empire so much in a way, and I think we're going to kind of get more into this as yeah. as we we go through this podcast. But it it is an almost inherent thing. With Star Wars fans, I don't know that I can take, I can take a Star Wars fan seriously yeah. if they like a New Hope or Jedi better than Empire. I can, I think that's fine. Okay, but anyone that that would disparage Empire against any of the other movies outside of the trilogy is that's insane to me. Right, and so it is, it is a special kind of film. You were, you had mentioned earlier the writing and seeing the script, and this is yeah. one of the. This is kind of one of the interesting things that even in the pre-internet age, people would talk a great deal about that Lucas. Worked on the script. I didn't realize actually until I was reading about it in preparation for this podcast that he's not credited for writing anything in the script. No. It's, it's, so Lee Brackett yes. is the woman that wrote the original draft. And what was interesting about this, and I didn't know this either, is that apparently Lee Brackett's draft isn't available to be oh, read. Oh, I didn't know this. That like you have to apparently go to... It's like you have to go to like university, a university somewhere, and okay. you can check, and you can you can't even check it out. You can read it. That's interesting. I wonder and if then it's USC. at like Lucas, it's at like Lucasfilm or whatever. Um, but I she is she is credited as a co writer uh, of of the movie, and and it's interesting because apparently Lucas didn't like her draft, but no. she 
she died right after she wrote it. She, I didn't know much about her, but you know, and you, I'm sure you know this, but for the audience that doesn't, yeah, she was a pretty prolific sci-fi writer for like 40 years. Actually, and, I didn't know that. And and started writing in the 40s. She, this was the last thing she ever did. Oh wow. And and she wrote, you know, he had like a treatment or like kind of a synopsis, and she wrote based on that, and and based on people that have read it or have had access to it apparently like all the major things that lucas had wanted in there are translated in her script or whatever okay so the you know obviously hoth okay in the beginning and cloud city at the end and all that kind of stuff right but then uh you know lawrence kazan obviously is is the um is the dude at that point right like he's the one that kind of takes over and his name's obviously pops with people now because he wrote yes. the last jedi yes uh, or no he wrote the force awakens he wrote and, force and, awakens and he wrote and he wrote sola Right. So, which is at the time we're recording this, not out yet. That's right. You. Were, that's right. That's right. So, from a script perspective, I think that that's kind of the special sauce. There is that it was, it was kind of this like conflicted sort of situation where lots of cooks were in the kitchen and and he didn't really get to get feedback from Lee Brackett before she passed away. So he kind of was left with this document and then didn't really write any more of it and then kind of handed it off to someone else who kind of shaped it. But the fact that she got credit for for writing and, and, and in an industry, just like music, just like anything else, is very serious about credit and making sure people get their money and all that kind of stuff and right. the licensing and whatever the case might be, that this, this, this script seemed to have passed through two really talented people. Yeah. On its way to the screen. Yeah. So that's that that to me is a super... Interesting thing, but again, much more interesting than that is that it's not available. And what's more interesting about that, that to me too is that Lawrence Kasdan wasn't even supposed to be involved in it until he wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, and that was how they became familiar with him. And stuff oh, like that. is that right? That I didn't realize. So in so apparently with Lawrence Kasdan, Empire is the biggest movie, and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark are the biggest movies that they ever wrote. Obviously, but what I didn't realize is that he wrote The Bodyguard, which wasn't made until 1992. He wrote it and sold it in the 70s. And that was his, so he sold it apparently to Paramount or something in like the 1970s. Okay. Then because of the the back and forth on that, then he got involved in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He delivered that script. That movie comes out after Empire. Then he, right. I think it comes out 81-ish. I don't know. And then. Yeah, 81, I think. And then, yeah, and then he goes on to write like The Big Chill and all that other stuff, which is obviously right. like a monumentally great movie. Huge. So, yeah, I, I, I love that it kind of incubates with yeah. different people, which I think is not always good for the creative process, but I think in this case was probably fantastic it for the creative process. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. So, all right. And then obviously, uh, just to get the personnel out of the way that's not in the movie, okay. uh, Irvin Kirshner yeah. is obviously the director. And he was a famous director since like the 50s. I didn't realize with him that he turned down the project and... His agent apparently yelled at him. There was something going on with that. And he was one of Lucas's old film professors at USC. Right. So there was, uh, you know, familiarity and all that already. And and Lucas apparently, I, I've learned recently, like, he actually didn't want to be too involved because he wanted to produce it. And he wanted to free himself up. You know, they were doing a lot of cutting edge stuff at ILM and he wanted to be a big part of overseeing that as far as the effects and everything, which is why he kind of took a back seat. On the other things, and it looked like that kind of worked out for the for the benefit. Of the yeah, film. I think. Well, that's kind of the beauty of of Lucas's involvement in Star and in, in his brainchild, or whatever, is that when yeah. he's most detached from create. From my perspective, when he's most detached from creating in a day to day moment on the set, which is the case with Empire and Jedi, that is when the movies are the best. The big and, picture, and, yeah. and I because because from my perspective. 
Jedi and Empire are both better than A New Hope. I know some people think that it's, and a lot of people think it's Empire, New Hope, and Jedi. Yeah. I think it's Empire, Jedi, A New Hope. I agree with you on that. And so I think that there's, you know, Lucas was a keen business mind. Obviously, he created these characters in this universe, and we and we should be very thankful to him for that. Of course. But it seems like when he became most self-indulgent, which was specifically with the prequels, yeah, well, that's when things went off the rails for star wars so Agreed. his detachment as a producer which is an essential role to a film right is it's still i think freedom up to not i don't know that he would admit it i don't know that it's necessarily true it's certainly conjecture but there's tons of licensing and money to be made he also invested his own money to make this movie and again we mentioned that earlier but that's really the create one of the craziest facts about empire is that yeah. he shirked the entire funding system that's still in place today in, in the industry of running your IP and kind of letting go of control and letting go of monetary gains. But you also let go of monetary losses. So you kind of spread out the the risk. Mm. But he he invested $33 million that he made from A New Hope into this movie. And it ended up being a huge success story for him, obviously. Yeah, so I, I, I love that kind of semantical approach to examining the movie apart from the script, apart from the acting, apart from obviously... Yeah. The two and a half hours or so that we get of yeah. the film itself. Yeah. So where do you think we should go from here? Because we, we've we talked a lot about, again, the semantics and the surroundings, but we've sure. not talked too much about the film except for Hoth. Do you, before we move on from Hoth, do you, because do you, I guess we can go somewhat sequentially, is there anything else that kind of resonates for you there? Because the snow speeders are pretty cool. Oh, I, I would, absolutely. These, these craft that work in an atmospheric kind of, um, setting they don't work in space. You you read about that later. There's a lot of interesting stuff about that too, and how they interact with the ad. That's and, interesting. I like. That's a great point. Yeah, it's kind of a, a hybrid. Uh, you know, land speeder and X-wing. Yeah, it's like a fighter jet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, exactly. And uh, so I like that as well. And obviously, we're introduced to some of these interesting creatures as well, including the the Wampa. Yes. Um, that doesn't really have, you know, that much to do with the movie, but. Right, but seems to be somewhat intelligent. And yeah, 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 yeah. And, and is doing his thing with uh, with Luke in the beginning. There. You, f- you sense that danger, and you get to see Luke sort of exhibiting his Force powers for the first time. Obi-Wan is a Force ghost. There's a lot going on in that first, what, 40 minutes, or even less. Yeah, I would say probably even less than that. Less, right? So, yeah, there's, a re- there's really a lot going on there. And I would say the other thing, just lending to that sense of like urgency and danger and peril, is Vader landing and coming into the base you know he has his party they come through they clear the way for him and there and there he is you know like something's going on he they're after something they put vader on his vader's boots are on the ground in that base that feel even if you can't articulate it as as a kid that feels that feels dangerous that feels like oh my god get out of there it's vader like it's not just the stormtroopers it's him you know what i mean run you know and um you know they escape by the seat of their pants yeah, and I think it just all goes with that sort of like boom, 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 you know, type of sense of this real, real danger and darkness, really. Yeah, it's super dark. I think that, again, it goes into that that idea that A New Hope eases into the action, eases into the story, but yeah. you don't have to have that, you know, if you look at the trilogy as a three-act structure itself, then this is where the action exists before the resolution. And the action obviously spills over it's funny because when you get the Jedi, the action spills over, but also it kind of the slow buildup spills back over in a Jedi as well with Luke going to Jabba's palace and all that kind of stuff and how it, it, it starts out quite passively. But if you look at it through that three-act structure again, then you see something that I think is is far more engaging. And obviously with the movie happening previous to it, you don't have to have all of that kind of education 
shoved into the beginning so it gets right get where it gets right going again and i love that vader lands on hoth and that is one of the memorable things because it shows that what happened at the beginning of a new hope when he lands or when he boards the ship with the stormtroopers which you see from a different perspective during rogue one which i love yeah um when he's chasing the death star plan oh so good that he's a hands-on sort of dude he's dead serious about whatever the task at hand might yeah, be i'll do it yeah yeah and he and he just <laughs> yeah exactly and he just he just he he has his like body fodder in front of him, and he, and they and and then he he he's just you know always just a little late. Although he wasn't really that late in the New Hope, they got the probe off in time, but he still captured Leia, I guess. So this kind of segues, you know, Hoth is so I don't know, man. It's just so it's so memorable, uh. and and I really really love the way the movie begins. But then we kind of get into the kind of middle structure of the movie, and we don't necessarily have to go in order here. But I think the the two characters that we should touch on before we get to cloud city which is where kind of things resolve and by resolve i don't really mean that there's a resolution i mean that it moves it bleeds into a jedi actually it's like an anti-resolution like it's like an anti-climax in a way but (laughs) um, you have yoda and dagobah and then you have boba fett which i which which bleeds into into cloud city and becomes more important there although we're introduced to him um on the star destroyer so yoda dagobah yes this seems, from my perspective, again, okay. and, I, and I, I don't know that a lot of people are going to agree with this. I don't know. It's kind of strange that Dagobah, in a way, and Yoda, in a way, seems to me to almost be like the tertiary important thing in the movie, which is, which is incredible when you consider what it actually means to Luke yeah. and his character arc and what it means to Luke ignoring Yoda's advice and yeah. going back and, you know, and kind of resolving things in the third movie. So what is your perspective on okay. that character and his importance to kind of the arc? I know exactly what you mean when you say that. I've always had this odd, I don't know if this is meandering from your point slightly, but I think it's in tune with what you're saying. I think the Dagobah scene in The Empire Strikes Back is the weak part of the movie. I think it's a little boring, and I think it's because it's overlong. I, I just think it's due to sheer length. I think they just spend too much time there. I understand why, because you're meeting the Jedi Master who taught the Jedi Master. Like you're meeting the you know, who who you who you believe is to be Obi-Wan's teacher. So this is the guy. It's it's in this really this really exotic setting that we hadn't seen in Star Wars yet in this swamp. It's murky. You feel, you, even as a seven-year-old, I understand, like, this character's hiding. This character is hiding from something. And inherently, that feels already, that draws you in. He's masterfully sort of brought to life by Frank Oz in this puppet, puppeteering that we haven't really, we hadn't really seen the level of this yet. I mean, we had the Muppets and we had Sesame Street and funnier things, comedic things, and there was some stuff that was going to be in the offing in the Dark Crystal and stuff like that. But this was the first time we were really kind of seeing this. Like, this character, we believed it. It's sort of um, feels mystical, and he's also humorous. He's funny. That scene always kind of was like, ah. Eh. And I think they could have done a lot with establishing Yoda and him sort of schooling Luke and, like, you know, slow down. You know, you're you're too rash. You know, you're too, you're, you want to jump in, like, it's time to learn, you know, be quiet and listen type of thing. And then, you know, levitating the X-Wing out. But there was some stuff in there that could have been cut. I just think it's over long. And I think it's a little 
also, now that I'm really thinking about it, I think it's also a little, maybe a little unfair to the Dagobah scene. It's sandwiched in between two of the coolest scenes in movie history in Hoth and Cloud City. So it's like, you just want it one, especially after you see it the first time, you're just like, you're through Hoth and you're like, all right, let's get to Clouds. Let's get to the Bounty Hunters and Boba Fett and Cloud City and Vader confronting them and Lando betraying them and Hans and Carbonite and like Luke is, you know, fighting somebody saying like, I'm your father. Like, it's just crazy. Like, of course you don't want to do the Dagobah scene. Like, all right, get through this. This is boring. You know, that's how it strikes me. What about you? What do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think that you've hit on some interesting things there because it's it's funny because there's a there's like a dichotomy here. It's it's. On one hand, it's really important that this story is told. Yoda Yoda uh, reveals in his relationship and his interactions with Luke sort of the systemic deficits in Luke's character that are always there. Like, the, the one thing that all three of the movies in the trilogy do really well with Luke, particularly the first two, because then Luke kind of comes into his own. It's like a teen comedy or something in a way, like where he comes... <laughs> Like Jedi? Yeah, Jedi, like in the sense that like w- with Luke where it's like, you know, suddenly he's like, you know, he used to be like the girl, the girl in art class with the glasses and now he's, he has no glasses and his hair is down and shit. And he's like, <laughs> kind of pretty it. cool. But like That's they've amazing. always they did a really nice job of showing his flaws in ways that frustrated the audience, I think, because we knew Han's flaws right from the very beginning. Han's right. brash. He is a mercenary. He wants money. He's on the run. He's been dishonest with people in the past. Like, yeah. But he's endearing, so we don't really care. Like, I think that, like, and actually that's kind of, like, what makes him interesting and, like, his roguish sort of nature and how it's slowly stolen out of him, basically. Sure. Through his love of Leia and his relationship with Luke and kind of his groundedness with Chewbacca. And you learn more about that story, you know, outside of the movies. There's this part of Luke where, like, Luke doesn't, in A New Hope, like, Luke doesn't get along with his his aunt and uncle, particularly his uncle. He kind of resents them. He doesn't really understand the story. He's been lied to. He has a lot of resentment. Biggs is going off to the academy. He wants to go hang out with Biggs. Obviously, they cut all that out of the movie. But it's like with Luke, you see, like, you know, the, the typical, like, he's a farm boy on a moisture farm. And it's like, flaw, 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 flaw. Sure, sure. And, and, I, 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 and I think with Yoda, it's like a real kick in the balls in a way because it's like, wow, Yoda even really can't stand this motherfucker in a way. You know, <laughs> like it, his relationship with Yoda in Empire and his relationship with Yoda in Jedi are different. Yeah. And Yoda, when he levitates the X-Wing so he can get away, is basically being like, fine, dick. Here's what I can do. And you can use this ship to leave or and chase your friends, but it's a fucking trap. And this is exactly what they want. But you're going to do it anyway. Right. And it shows like this flaw and it works out in some way. I mean, Han is still taken and, and all of that. But I guess what I'm saying is that like they've done a good job of exposing Luke, which is why I'm always surprised when people are like, Luke's my favorite character. I'm like, really? Yeah, that's interesting. Because Luke seems to be the conduit by which the story runs or through which the story runs. He's an essential character. I like Luke. But really, Han's the dude. Right. And Luke's way more flawed in a lot of different ways. That's interesting. So, so for me, I look at Dagobah and I look at Yoda and I look at Luke and I look at that as just basically exposing Luke's weaknesses. And I think that may, might be one of the subtexts of the movies is that Luke's weak. He's mentally weak. He's physically weak. He's a baby. He's a whiner. But he has a heart of gold and he does the right thing and he cares about his friends. Right. Loves and he friends. cares about his history. And there's so there's something endearing in that as well. It's almost yeah. it's almost like putting a mirror in front of the audience and being like, uh, you have lots of flaws too. But but family, friends, the things that are important to you are, are kind of a universal currency. I love that. You know? I love that. And so, courage. Yeah, and courage. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. he's crazy. I mean, he's, Luke's crazy. Yeah. Like, he has no idea what he's getting himself into. Right. When he goes to Cloud City. And and he must be even know in some way that it's a trap um, that he's being played. Yeah. And and so the, the, the scene of him 
in the cave with Vader is weird. It's it's just foreshadowing. I I I think it's exactly. I think it's clumsy foreshadowing too. And and maybe you don't see. I again I don't remember the first time I saw it. And obviously that what happens at the end of Empire is one of the most spoiled parts of any movie ever. It's it's part of the, <laughs> it's part of film history. Yeah. So it's not like you can ever look at that and not understand what it's supposed right. to tell you. But maybe at the time that was the thing where I was like, what is what yeah. is this deep psychological sort of thing they're trying I to tell hear me? That. But I agree with you. I think it's a little. I don't know that it's too long because I don't know if, if I can even recall it beat for beat, but that might even be I can call recall Hoth yeah. and Cloud City pretty much beat for beat. So I maybe that's part of the reason why it doesn't really work out. That's interesting. Did you ever find it? But did you ever find the? Is it is that just me and this other guy on YouTube that said the Dagobah scene is boring? Because that's a huge. I don't want to blaspheme against my fellow Star Wars people, but I always I inherently sense that. Like I want to. F- I don't know if it's maybe it's too much to say. I want to fast forward through the Yoda scene, but I kind of want to fast forward through the Yoda scene yeah, sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I I think that if you can look at Empire as a full package, which is what we're doing, yeah, and you and you identify the weakest component of it, I agree that it's Dagobah. Yeah, but what's what's ironic about that is that it's it's juxtaposed against how important Yoda is to the structural elements of Empire and building Luke as a character. Yes, I agree with that. So there is a mystique there that is never. It's never fully explored even in Jedi, but yeah. you don't get back to it until Jedi. And you see a different Luke at that point. That's right? a great point. Yes. But, so there is a weird, again, a weird juxtaposition there where it's like, yes, I have a problem with this simply because it doesn't quite stack up to um, what's going on around it. But you could point to other elements of Empire and be like, this isn't even really necessary. Like the the, the asteroid scene is totally unnecessary totally yeah totally just irrelevant to everything fun fun bit but yeah to completely it's complete extra it doesn't really it's additive yeah exactly like it doesn't really like with the minox and um landing and all that kind of stuff and it's a way to introduce tie bombers it's a way to introduce you know so you sell some toys it's a way to and minox and and all you know kind of get the falcon some 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 time in a movie where it's not really going to get much time. Mm, that's a good point. Because the Fal- point. the Millennium Falcon is one of those things in movies. It's not unique to Star Wars at all, but it's it's a character. It's a character. It's very similar to Jerry's apartment in Seinfeld, or um, mm, good, good. you know, like where it's like it's it's just a character in the cast, very and nice. you kind of have to give it some screenplay. I like it. I like that idea. Yeah, and you're showing Han's prowess. He's hiding. You know, look how slick he is. He can hide on this asteroid where everybody looks for him. Otherwise, yeah, you're right. What the, <laughs> you know? But what I mean, the hell else is but, but 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 it's fun. Like, are you getting a little too crazy with it then? Because like, could I could I look at a bunch of movies and be like, you can cut out ninety percent of sure. this. It really doesn't mean anything. It's sure, let's just make some German like express. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> just something, something very literal. <laughs> um, I want to get you know one of the one of the components of knockback that I want to stress are is audience interaction. So if you support Colin's Last Stand on Patreon at the two dollar level a month or higher. Um, you get access to a thread that I'm going to post every time we record a wave of episodes because you and I are going to record like eight or ten of these at a time. Yeah. And so I've solicited questions from the audience about all the topics we're going to record in, in this, the first wave. Sure. And I, I picked out a few questions slash comments. Oh, cool. Um, that I thought would be interesting. And I think one plays in here right now. Okay. This is from Omar. And I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, by the way, Omar. It's Omar Al-Khatib. Al-Khatib. I think that's how you say it. Okay. He says Empire Strikes Back versus The Last Jedi. So The Last Jedi, of course, being the most recent Star Wars movie that we did a podcast on that was kind of the gestation for this particular series that we're doing. Yes. And uh, you care for it much more than I do. So we should put that out there. Yes. 
is The Last Jedi a modern version of The Empire Strikes Back, Strikes Back or can you not really compare them? I like this question because going into The Last Jedi being the middle of its own three-act structure, yeah. there was a lots of assumptions that since The Force Awakens was beat for beat, quite literally, A yes. New Hope, that we would find something very similar in The Last Jedi. Yeah. I think you and I both agree that there's pretty much no parallel between The Last Jedi no. and Empire Strikes Back. I thought there was going to be, like you did, but no. Which is awesome. Yeah. Which is awesome. Now, I understand when we said this before with Abrams and everyone with uh, The Force Awakens, it was a safe approach. I think that was the right idea. Yeah. So, but you couldn't replicate that with back-to-back episodes or back-to-back movies. So, in a way, I think the it answers itself, no, it's not. But there's something in Omar's question that I think is, is more fun in the subtext, okay. which is... You can compare them because they are middle acts to their own three-act structures. Sure. So I guess what we're finding out here, and maybe because we don't have episode nine yet, we don't have the full painting done yet to be able to kind of look at it from mm, far. That's a good point. But good point. is it going to be as important to that structure as as Empire was to the original trilogy? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that, Omar. I think, well, I think if you take it, if you paint it in broad strokes, I think the, I think that Empire ends on a more sour note, or I think it ends on a darker note for our heroes, in a way, than The Last Jedi does. I think The Last Jedi sort of ends, well, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I think we know, I, I think we touched on this a little bit in the Last Jedi podcast, but I'll reiterate. I think we know what the stakes are when the Empire Strikes Back ends. And they're sort of pooling their resources to right everything that went wrong for them in the Empire Strikes Back. They're gonna they're they're obviously formulating some kind of plan to go rescue Han. We know that at the end of the movie, they say it. You know, we're gonna rendezvous, we'll see you there, blah blah blah, whatever they say at the end there. We know what the stakes are. It doesn't look good, but there's a modicum of hope, right? Last Jedi ends. I think you and I talked about this already. What are we waiting to see? I don't, I'm not sure. Okay, it doesn't look good for the resistance. No one's coming to help. No one responded to their call, right, for help. And Will and Ken, Ray, bring Kylo back to the light side of the force. I don't know what else we're waiting to see. What else are we waiting to see there? I think there's some kind of parallels in the ending. I don't think there was parallels on the on the on their respective trajectories over the movie, but there might be a little bit of a parallel with the endings as far as like we're waiting to see what the outcome is. But in Empire, we know what they're going to they're setting out to do. In Jedi, it's much more and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but in Jedi it's much more you know, it's open. Where are they going to go with this? So many questions. The thing with Empire, when it ends, is we know everything. We don't know exactly who, who Boba Fett is. There's a little mystery there. Why is this guy so adamant on taking this guy to Jabba the Hutt? Blah, blah, blah. We don't know everything, but we know a lot. In Last Jedi, there's so many things that we still don't know. Who is Rey? Where is she from? Who is she from? Who the hell was Snoke? He's dead now, right? Luke's dead. What's that mean? You know, so I think, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, What's no, your definitely. take on that? I, well, I think that, I think you kind of answered it in the sense that you have to give The Last Jedi credit in the sense that no matter how you feel about the movie encapsulated in and of itself, right? that you don't really know where it's going. You like, like 
to use terminology you and I are familiar with, we used to, you know, it's like a, like Empire to Jedi is like a meatball down the plate. Like, you know exactly how they're going to hit that ball. Right. right. This is more of like a Tim Wakefield knuckleball where you're not sure <laughs> if episode nine is going to be able to make contact, you know, or if it's just, you're just going to whiff. Well, said. even though the ball is going like 40 miles an hour, it's right. just moving weird. And, right. And can't see it. Yeah. It's like it. So there's something special about that where this has potential to turn the new trilogy on its head and make it something that I think I hope that it can be and will be, which is something great. Cause yeah. I think, I think the last Jedi bouncing off of the force awakens has made the, the trajectory of the, tr- of the trilogy, the new trilogy worse. So there's something mysterious about it. So to Omar's point, I don't think that there are like one-to-one parallels in the structures of the movies, the characters, any of the plot lines, which is awesome because they couldn't do that again. They couldn't start with like massive battle, into you know yeah like it, it, there is a massive battle there are you know the, the last shot has way too much space like uh, like you know whatever going on yeah it, it, like i still don't like it but the and no i won't see it again oh i was gonna ask up. you you haven't seen it again since chris no no way man. Okay. I, I, I just don't you're over it i don't buy this argument that you need to see it twice i, I it doesn't make sense i get that just on a principle i didn't get up and go to the bathroom i didn't look away from the screen i wasn't on my phone i saw the whole fucking movie you watched just like I saw all of Force Awakens one time and all of Rogue One one time. You were in rapid And attention. I liked and loved those movies respectively. Sure. Rogue One was excellent. And so to see this movie and be like, we got to see it again. I'm like, yeah, let me give them 20 more dollars so I can go see it. <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. sounds like a great It like just a great missed idea. for you. It no, just it did. missed. It did. So I appreciate it. And a lot of people. It, it did. It's, a, a it's, a, it's divisive. I think that we sometimes get sucked into, you know, I do. I'm cynical, right? In a lot of ways. We get sucked into this vortex sometimes of... It's exactly what you said in the beginning. It yeah. was a perfect way to say it. We cross our arms yeah. and we wait to be disappointed in lots of yeah. different ways. Yeah, all right, ways. show me. Yeah, exactly. Roll your eyes. Yeah, exactly. Show like, me, all right. And, but you still get the goosebumps and the music and the, and the crescendo of the of the music starting in the beginning and right. all of this. And hopefully we'll get the kind of, with the Fox <clears throat> Disney deal, we'll hopefully get the rat at the tat of the snare in the beginning again and all this. Yes. I've, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, which would be worth buying Fox just to do that because it's there's there's a little bit of an I agree. Um. And by the way, before I forget it, because mm-hmm. um, we were talking about Snoke in in Last Jedi and all that kind of stuff, I forget sometimes that we see Emperor Palpatine in, in Empire. Um, this is yes. this is something that it's kind of like, and that's not forgotten, but it's kind of like this ancillary thing. But you see the power structure for the Empire, for the Galactic Empire, and the nature of it that you read into in A New Hope with with Tarkin, who we're going to talk to in a minute when we talk about Boba Fett, because I think that we're uh. going to be able to tie Tarkin and Boba Fett together in one very specific way. And I think that's obvious. Very nice. Um, but very good. We do see the power structure there again, which is interesting. Snoke, of course, in Jedi, and I don't want to get too into the last Jedi didn't need to exist at all. At least, at least no. that's, at least that's my interpretation right. of the entire, the entire thing. Why that character exists. I can't tell you. So yeah, Omar, thank you for the question. I think that the kind of the conclusion that Dagan and I have both drawn with this particular one is they're just radically different movies. But we don't know where we know where Empire leads in hindsight. It, it, the movie came out, you know, th- you know, like 34 years ago. But with uh, this, we don't know. So I think a- know. ask that question again in two years, and we'll have an answer. Yeah, we yeah yeah. All right, so let's Absolutely. get back into the kind of tr- the, what we were talking about before. We were we we touched on Hoth, we touched on Dagobah. Is there anything left that you want to say about Yoda? Because I actually think that when we do Jedi, I'm sure we're going to do an episode on Jedi in the future. I feel like we'll be able to talk more about Yoda because we'll have the full conclusion of his interactions with with Luke. Of course, also really being interesting that he only interacts with Luke. Now that's that's by mm. that's by nature that's because great... of, of Dagobah. And there is some interactions, I guess, with Obi-Wan For, too. Yeah, Force Ghost Obi-Wan. Yeah. 
but there much. is kind of an isolation. It, it it's almost funny that Dagobah is an isolated planet. He's yeah. hiding away, but there's an isolation in the script from them from everyone else too, which is interesting. Like yeah. Yoda never. If you don't count the prequels, which are terrible, Ugh. Yoda never interacts with anyone else, including in the Last Jedi. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. That you is see really him only interesting. through Luke's lens. Yeah, the, it's a, it's a very limited context. You're right. You're really right about that. No, the only other thing I would say about Yoda is I really enjoy the performance of the puppet, you know, Frank Oz, his portrayal and his, you know, just all the art and artfulness of bringing that character to life in Empire Strikes Back. I think Return of the Jedi is my favorite Yoda performance. He does less and it's more understated, so it's probably easier. But yeah, I always really, I don't think it ever got better than Empire and especially Jedi Yoda. I think that. Let me ask you one quick question. Question: It could be a yes or no thing for Yoda. Should he have fought? Should he have ever been seen fighting with a lightsaber? Yes no, no? no, that, okay. that no, no. This is no, why. No, this is why no. you and me gel. This is that's terrible. That when I saw that, I like so I remember you and I saw Phantom Menace in the theater with Dad. I, I yes. in ninety nine, May ninety nine, Connecticut. I was in. Uh, yep, in Connecticut. Was it Connecticut? Yep, yeah, yep, we came and yeah. saw you in Connecticut. Yeah, when you were working at Funny Bone Entertainment, which yes. I, I assume doesn't even exist anymore. Maybe, no, I don't think so. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Yes, I we I was in ninth grade. Dad did the rare move of pulling me out of school, and yeah. we went because Dad's obsessed with Star Wars. That's and, right. And we it was so funny because I talked to him on the phone yesterday, and I was lamenting all the Star Wars movies that are being announced. And he's like, "Oh, more Star Wars is good for me." I'm like, "Dad, you, you, <laughs> really?" He said, you that? "Sly, wow, you sly son of a gun." What's going on? So I'm like, "Wow, Dad's a fanboy." <laughs> um, so, but uh, we went and saw the movie. So I remember that. And then I remember uh, I was a senior in high school when uh, when Attack of the Clones came out, and I saw it with Dad. Okay. And I remember like just laughing at how bad. And actually, I said it before, and I think I said it in the Last Jedi conversation that we had, but. I saw it on the t- on t- it was just on TV recently and I just okay. it was in, towards the beginning so I just watched the whole thing and it was worse than I remember it. Yeah, you which were is incredible which is incredible. It's so bad. It's incredible. Like Ugh. like when they're on that like, when they're making the clone army and and Jango Fett and all, I'm like, "Oh, this oh, sucks." Oh my god. But um when I saw Yoda fighting with the lightsaber, I was like, "What the fuck?" Weightless I was around that was a, that was a vi- that the reason I remember it is cuz it it made in me of it made me viscerally angry yeah it's terrible where i'm like you have is nothing sacred (laughs) not only did you do this to boba fett and you did this to you know you got rid of like two cool characters that actually could have been something with maul and qui-gon obi-wan's like the only good thing that ever came out of this i by the way i think we'll see more of ewan mcgregor as obi-wan in the new movies i think i I believe that one i think so too um which is great he's great oh he was a great portion well deserved yeah, he deserves a reward for being the only thing watchable. In yeah, exactly. If they, if they try to do some pull some shenanigans like bring Hayden Christensen into this, I'm going to... Yeah, someone sorry, Natalie Portman. You're beautiful, but... And you're a great actress, but for some reason, she just fell apart in those movies. Yeah, she's from Long Island, too, so it was especially And she's from Long Island. I yeah. respect Natalie Portman, but... Right. Yeah, not in those movies. Sometimes we miss from Long Island. Not often. We gave the world oh. Twisted Sister, <laughs> but we also gave the world Lindsay Lohan, so sometimes things happen. Um, so... We gave the world vanilla fudge and brand new. We also gave the world me and you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, th- that was one of the things where you really realized that nothing was sacred. Yeah. Th- because we didn't we didn't even know what Yoda was. Right. And then when we saw, and I, I'm not even trying to be facetious, but when we saw Yaddle in the prequels, who is a female Yoda, <laughs> it kind of ruined the mystique of like, who is this dude? Like, is he... I remember me thinking, and maybe it's foolish because it, was, it doesn't really make any sense, but I was a middle schooler in elementary school. Yeah. 
where I was like, is he human? Yeah, just an old wizened human. He's nine hundred years old. Like, yeah. is it just is it just the force just did this to him? Maybe that's what happens with gravity. gravity just. I, I mean, still like you that live, theory. You live seventy or eighty years. Gravity pulls you down. I know on Earth today in real life. Look so at I'm Danny like, DeVito. <laughs> he's only like seventy. <laughs> He would he would look like Yoda by the time he's three hundred. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so I I just I mean it's not my story. It's not my characters. I have no ownership over it. But I right. but the 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 Yoda fighting in light it it ruined just like Boba Fett was ruined because of the prequels and it was yeah he yeah. was he just totally was uh, so too was Yoda because Yoda's using a light. This is only like a few decades before you see him on Dagobah. This isn't like you see Yoda five hundred years ago. Exactly. So he was using a lightsaber 30 years ago? <laughs> That's what you're telling me? It's so ridiculous. He was bouncing around a room right. 30 years ago. Uh, so so just, I didn't mean to get you off on a tangent, but it's no. one of those little things that's, you know, not so little things that it's like, how out of touch can you be with this whole thing? You created this. Like, what you know what I mean? It's just like one of those things. Not even like something like Jar Jar, which is like some egregious thing. It's like, but it's it's just as egregious. It, it, it's so, f- I love the Jar Jar thing specifically because, and again, we, I want to do an episode on the prequels too, because that will be fun. Yeah. It will force me to fun. really watch them. That would too. be fun actually. But. Oh God. I think that, I don't know if this is a rumor. People can tell me in the comments, but I'm pretty sure the Backstreet Boys were supposed to be in episode two. You were saying this. And I think that they just were like, this is even too far for us. Because people were like, what? <laughs> they took themselves out of it. <laughs> you, look, look, you guys have enough shit in this movie. I don't think you need to make it any worse. Lance Bass was like, listen, is he even in Backstreet Boys? I think he is. <laughs> I don't know. Or is he in NSYNC? That's NSYNC, I, I, I think. I can't, I can't keep him straight. I don't know. Everyone was especially confused. Like Lance Bass was on the set then. We're like, where's, we were at the Backstreet Boys here. Why is Lance Bass also? What is he doing here? <laughs> now it's getting really He's crazy. like a senator from Coruscant or something. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that ruined Yoda because we don't. There was a certain mystique where I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're capable of. You don't seem to be afraid of anyone. Luke right. seems like he could just squish you with his hands, but you'd probably fuck him up somehow. Right. We don't see Palpatine use a lightsaber. We see him use lightning. So is there some sort of... And that seemed to be drawn from like the dark side of the Force. So was there some way he interacted with the Force that was a more light side of the Force? I'm not saying that it was... That's it was cool. I'm not saying that there was ever an egregious use of his light. If, if they were like back at hundreds of years ago, he used a lightsaber. So I'm like, okay, well, everyone seems to use a lightsaber. That's right. a Jedi, in the, a Jedi Knight. But once you get to a certain pinnacle of power, maybe you don't need the lightsaber. Right, exactly. That's what I'm trying... That's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it seems almost like... Your powers transcend that. Tool, right. That tool. You're so powerful that you had to escape to some system that no one, like uncharted system that no one cares about. Right. And then hide and pretend that you're like some senile old piece of, you know, fucking crazy bat piece of shit. Right. Cooking with a copper kettle. And then <laughs> you're going to tell me that in fact, 30 years ago, you were in the capital of the empire bouncing around with a lightsaber in your hand. doesn't make any sense. I, uh, I digress. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Now we can talk about Boba Fett. Cause I, this is, this is Boba Fett. <laughs> all right that's from jedi we'll save that for, all right for, for, yes that's for jedi there's something god man there's something universal and mystical about this character i don't really and this is kind of what i want to ask you about in terms of the zeitgeist again of the time okay i think that i took the boba fett partially because you were so into boba fett yeah but also because he's just really cool and actually all six of the bounty hunters um that are on the executor at that time are really cool yeah so you have a four loam and Zuckus who work together. Yeah. Uh, he, used him, he used to call him suck ass. Suck ass. <laughs> <laughs> By the way.
way, yeah. because of the whole action figure debacle thing where they named them wrong, whatever. Which one is Forlum and which one is Zuckus? Zuckus is the one that has the like breathing apparatus. He looks like a Tuscan Raider. Yeah, and f- yeah, yes, okay. like a shorter Tuscan Raider. And Forlum is the robot. Is the gray guy? Yeah, and apparently okay. they apparently they work together. Yes. At least in the books they did. I, again, I don't know if they're canon or not. Because I remember it used to be like For the Love of Money, I think was like what people yes, used to say. that, that was the, Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so you have Forlom and Suckass. Suckass. And you have Bosk, Dengar, IG-88, and then you have Boba Fett. Now, right. out of that, I love them all. I yeah, think they're all too. super interesting characters. Very much so. Um, Dengar, clearly like super injured by something. Yeah. And... Uh, Bosk kind of just seems to be kind of like a roguish sort of character. IG-88 apparently has a massive rivalry with Boba Fett. He's they an assassin droid, right? Yeah, they apparently have like beef a with each other. Like assassin droid or right. something? Pretty interesting. So they have some beef with each other. I don't... Yeah. Um, again, I, I'm loath to talk about the experiences of me reading from the EU in the 90s because I don't know... The EU being the expanded universe because I don't know... I don't think any of it's real anymore. So it's almost like... I know. It's, it's hard like a, to know what's... And I, again, I know I've said this. I even said this back on Kind of Funny, but... yeah. I wasted thousands of dollars and probably thousands of hours of my life absorbing this shit. <laughs> and it's as if it's all fan fiction that I read <laughs> on the internet now. So thanks a fucking lot. I know. Disney. By the way, where is Timothy Zahn? He had such a sense of not to get on a big thing. And we could do a whole podcast on Timothy Zahn. But, and Star Wars fans know it. It's nothing new. But they, this guy, I don't think there's ever been an individual. And I know there's showrunners over there that guide everything the Star Wars property in general and kind of oversee it and run it. But I don't think there's ever been a singular person that seemed more in touch with the universe and just the ins and outs and what was right and what was wrong. It would be wonderful for him to be more involved. I mean, that guy was a visionary. He, he, was, he was keeping Star Wars alive when no one gave a shit. And doing an amazing job with those books. Well, so I know what you're saying. Yeah, well, that's the big thing with with Timothy Zahn and the others that wrote in the EU from like the late 80s until like the mid to late 90s. Yeah, that dead. Because when when Shadow of the Empire came out, that was when, which is an amazing fucking book. That I was when that. I love that story. And for people that don't know, that's the book that fills in uh, between Empire and Jedi. So right. that's like how that's with Prince Jizor and Dash Rendar. Um, who are characters you never really see in the movies, but that's how they explain how Leia gets the Bausch, uh, bounty hunter outfit and all that kind of stuff. It's, right. It's that's right because that's not really explained, and that's another badass kind of scene in Jedi. I can't wait to do a podcast on Jedi. We'll do that next week. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, the thing that people seem to be lost is from '83 when Jedi came out, yeah. and I think they released it in '85. That the toys were going until the mid '80s, but from that period until. The early to mid-90s when there yeah. was rumors that they were working on a new movie and they were going to release the special editions in 97, no one really gave a fuck. And no. that's that's really hard for people to imagine. If you weren't... Nerd culture is mainstream now today. Yeah. But even... And it's like a victory, right, for nerds. But in a way, like, I don't think younger people or just people that were detached from this really realize that, like, if you were into Star Wars in, yeah. like, 1992, that was kind of weird because there was nothing to be into. No. Except for some books, some comics... If you were a toy collector and you're reading Toy Fair or that kind of stuff, like other th- other than that, like nothing. So it is interesting. It was in the wilderness at that time, yeah. Uh, because you know Lucas and Spielberg obviously were more focused on indie at the time, and and I don't know that they want you know I th- Last Crusade didn't come out until '89, so it wasn't like mm. Mm. underrated indie movie. We can you know Indiana Jones. Let's take a note. We can do another one on that. Oh, absolutely. Um, but uh, we Good can idea. agree on that actually. And and yes, Temple of Doom is the best Indiana Jones movie. But but the <laughs> you just uh, opened a can of worms. I love <laughs> yeah. it. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> Needless to say, because you remember that time when I was a kid, when I really got into it, when I really got into Star Wars, like 93, 94, and I was really into it until like 2000, really like 
episode one beat it out of me. But it was really not until episode two that I was like, I can't do this anymore. I was all in. I was enamored with Star Wars. I had every book. I read every book. I had every toy. I had every you really single did. Star Wars toy, including the ones you had to mail in uh, for to the Star Wars Insider and everything like that. So I had like the holographic Obi-Wan. I had uh, Han Solo as a stormtrooper, which is super rare. Yeah. I had every toy from 95 till 2002. That's every amazing. single action figure, every set, every vehicle, every special edition. At it all? Did you did you ever talk about your shelf? Did you ever? No, talk about I don't. That? I don't think. No, I, I don't think I ever. Tell did. say talk about so, that. So so when Dad and I Dad so I lived in Maine and New Hampshire when my parents got divorced for five years, um, and then we went back to Long Island when I was in ninth grade. My dad lived on Long Island that entire time actually, but so I'd right. go home for summers and stuff. But one year, Dad moved to New Hampshire to kind of extract me from a situation up there. So he lived there for a year as I was kind of segueing out of my life in New Hampshire and segueing back to being an Islander, and. Um, we used to go to this antique store or something. It was like some like store that dad used to go to. And they had like all this random ass shit there. And there was this one shelf that needed repairs and was, but it seemed like it was like from, it seemed like it might've held eight tracks and cassette tapes. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. From like but a you're music right. store. Yeah. That's what it looked like. And uh, so it was like some like relic from like those late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Right into the mid eighties. Oh, that's crazy. And uh, it was the shelf that was perfect for like, holding star wars toys like it was there was like compartments it was just like hundreds of these compartments yeah i begged dad for it and he bought it for me so i uh i had this shelf in my room and i I had like just one star wars figure in every one of these slots it was so cool and eventually i ran out of room and then i had to put them on the top of the shelf and then dad (laughs) hung the vehicles like by like fishing wire on my yeah on my ceiling i mean i i i know it's kind of like me being a yankees fan where people can't people don't know that colin People don't know the Colin that was obsessed with the Yankees. And people don't know the Colin that was obsessed with Star Wars. So yeah. it is it is like another time in another place. But needless to say, yeah, that's that's we sh- we could do another one on toys. And actually I want to talk about Empire Toys, but we can Oh yeah. We'll get, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Let's get back to Boba Fett. Please. And uh, and suck ass and all those guys. <laughs> do you remember Boba Fett being a cultural phenomenon at the time? Yeah, I mean, I remember, it's so funny because I remember, you know, obviously, as we all know, he was introduced in that Star Wars Christmas special, which, funny anecdote, I have not seen that since I was little. That is one thing. I'm a big YouTube addict. I'm a big nostalgia and retro addict. I I rewatch everything from my youth, from you can't do that on television to pinwheel to all the Nickelodeon stuff we grew up with, Mysterious Cities of Gold, on and on and on. Everything I'm nostalgic about, I've watched for some reason, I have not watched that Star Wars Christmas special again. But I do remember when that aired, he, there was a Boba Fett cartoon. And I remember being so turned on, like so dialed into that b- brief bounty hunter on the bridge scene with Boba Fett. And then all the Boba Fett, you know, we didn't get enough of him, but all the Boba Fett business to come in the rest of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it really it was automatic. Like boom, yeah, I need this action figure. I have to have the thing. We even knew as eight year olds like the whisperings of that firing rocket that was in prototype stage but never came out because his jetpack fired. But and it there was, was like, poking like people's whole, eyes out. <laughs> there was like a whole lawsuit with a kid choking. Oh, that's what it was. Battlestar Galactica toys. Oh, so I see. they had to. They couldn't. They, it was never got past prototype and everything like that. So they didn't they end up gluing it in or something. Yeah, you could pop it out a little bit. At least my figure, which I still have, my childhood Boba Fett, I still have all my figures. Um, I think I, I'm missing nine figures from the whole collection over the three movies. But yeah, his rocket comes in and out a little bit. 
you could see like it's loose. It's a it's a it's not a molded piece. It's it's a, it's separate. You could see they had plans for it. But yeah, I was always like super enamored by Boba Fett, and like you said, all the bounty hunters. In fact, at a certain point, when Boba Fett sort of lost his mystique, it was like all about like all right, what about these other guys? You know, you don't know anything about these guys. You know, and then like you said, uh, some of the um, now legends books went into like oh Dengar was a childhood rival of Han Solo Han Solo fucked him up in a race that's why he looks like that he has re- a vengeance on him IG88's this fearsome bounty hunter only second only to Boba Fett you know Boba Fett's kind of looking over his shoulder at this one guy you know and you know for you know Forlom and Zuckus are a team you know the, but we knew very we didn't know a lot we were always trying to fill in the blanks there was mystique there it was fun to sort of guess you know what's so funny about this too like not even to go off on a tangent, but it's so funny how you and I are almost 11 years apart and the movie is so is so special that it speaks to people of, you know, we're a different gen- generation and it speaks to us the same way as Star Wars fans. It's, it's really interesting. It's it's really neat in a way. And, you know, it's almost like there's so many in- intangibles that make it so, I think. Boba Fett and... The residents of Empire generally, I think it revolves around him, and I don't know that it, it, it's necessarily, it's necessarily, it would necessarily be possible today. And yeah. What I mean by that is, like you were saying, like there was no, there was no internet in 1980. There was no real ability to tell fictional kind of fan-driven stories, or no. th- you, you could share theories with your friends on the playground or whatever. But right, it's a very self-encapsulated thing where you were kind of given what you got. So that made him more mysterious. I, in other words, I don't know that anyone in any movie would be as mysterious or interesting as Boba Fett today because how? There would probably be a website dedicated to him after the, the first day the movie came out. Yeah. And then people would be writing fan fiction and conjecturing about who he is and all this kind of stuff. I think that that's part of the part of it right. to, for me anyway is that it's, it's, uh, it's not possible to replicate that and that he's used so sparsely. Just in, enough. Yeah. Just in, enough to... to kind of tease out and capture imagination exactly and you know an empire and jedi in jedi i understand people's kind of problem with him where he's kind of he kind of looks a little bit like a bitch on the on the skiff where he kind of just how he goes out he's just not really like doesn't seem like a very capable fighter and i think that they kind of made a mistake by doing that not because he died or you know or whatever happened to him i mean depending on they kind of just like bitched him out he kind of just dies incidentally like there's no it's kind of anticlimactic yeah fire is gone and very strange. It, it, so that was a little weird. And they, I don't know. It, it just shows to show you that Lucas doesn't really. It's the same thing with Darth Maul and stuff where it's like Lucas doesn't seem to understand like at all what he has. It's not to say Boba Fett didn't have to die. It just means that Boba Fett no, I could have you. gone out. Yeah. Like, you know, not like a little baby. So I, I but I do think it's the six of them together. That's really mysterious to me, too. But you touched on it and you've t- and we've talked about it many times. And this is why I brought up, Tar- you know, some people might have been confused a few minutes ago when I brought up like the connection between Tarkin and Boba Fett ha- ha- having with, with they never interact or anything like that. It's that they're the only two characters that Vader seems to give a fuck about in the yeah. entire and 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 all three of the movies. Yeah. That's it. And the Emperor. So it's there are really three characters that Vader gives any fuck about. And it's Tarkin, Boba Fett, and and then Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. No, you're absolutely um, right. And you know, powerful. And Tarkin and Palpatine, obviously, that's part of the power structure. But what's interesting about that, and we can go more into this when we go into the New Hope, but Vader respects Tarkin, even though he could easily kill Tarkin. So there's something interesting there. He could easily, and he and he shows what he can do to Tarkin in front of Tarkin when he strangles the other dude in, right. in, in the conference room and, and yeah. Death Star. Yeah. And embarrasses him in front of everyone. Like, right. he could easily do that to any of them. Right. So that's weird. But also, 
you know, and I know you brought this up. I think I saw you say it. I think you said it on Twitter or somewhere where Vader, Boba Fett has such a reputation, apparently, that Vader feels the need to warn him not to disintegrate Han Solo. You know, like like literally points him out, not to the others, but literally goes up to Boba Fett and says, like, no disintegration. Yeah, he's obviously familiar with Boba Fett mm-hmm. in some way, which that says. And then Boba Fett has the audacity to sort of bargain to sort of like tell, you know, t- to tell Vader, like, he's no good to me dead. Vader would just turn around and force choke somebody else's. Like, why does Vader offer this guy such respect? You know, what is that? And that, even as even as a kid watching that movie, that was... That came across. We might not be able to put it in words, but that comes across. Like, who is this guy? You know, Vader's not actually, you know, like, force choking this guy for, like, arguing with him right now? This is crazy. You yeah, know? in front of other people. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, no, you're absolutely right. That's a that's a tangible thing, and we could sense that. And, you and, know? It, and it, you're right in the sense also that there are two different characters attempting to bargain with Vader in Empire, Boba Fett and Lando. Right. And they're treated incredibly different. <laughs> That's a good point. Lando is treated like like Vader doesn't even give a fuck about the, you know, he's like, pray I don't alter it again when right. he's talking about, about the deal, which he already altered like three times. <laughs> and Boba Fett's literally saying like he wants his currency. And then, you know, obviously my, f- you know, we're actually going to get into this and maybe, you know what? Let, this is a good segue into one okay. of these questions. Please. Nathaniel Haller wrote us a a comment and a question and says, as a huge Star Wars fan and altogether movie lover, studying film at Georgia State University now. Very nice. Empire Strikes Back is my favorite movie of all time. Nice. Strong case for Empire being the best movie of all time, although I would give it to something else like Red Dawn. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's going to be another. No, that's going to be another. I don't don't know. I don't know what it would be. Maybe. I don't know. Big Lebowski, something like that. Okay. At 23, I've noticed not many people my age can grasp why this movie is so much more powerful than the newer movies, which I also love, solely based, oh, solely because it looks bad, in quotes. Okay. When ha- when I have this conversation, I tend to tell them to rewatch it and look at two scenes. The first is when Yoda teaches Luke a valuable lesson about the Force when he pulls the X-Wing out of the swamp on Dagobah. Okay. The other is the entire duel between Luke and Vader, which we're going to get to in a little while. Okay, beautiful. These scenes resonate with me more than any other film has since and are some of the main reasons I want to have a career in film. Anyway, I wanted to know, what is are your favorite scenes in Empire? And why do they hold that title for you? So, Nathaniel, thank you for the question. The reason, Dagan, that I wanted to bring that up was because my favorite scene, my favorite singular scene is when, and since we're kind of segueing from Boba Fett into Cloud City and what goes on there towards kind of the arc, the end arc of, of and kind of the crescendo of Empire, yeah. is when Vader is at the conference table in, in Cloud, Cloud City on uh. uh, Bespin. And Han walks in and immediately takes his gun and shoots him. And Vader just puts his hand out. And then Boba Fett just walks out and stands next to and stands next to Vader. So good. Because it's because first of all, it's awesome. Yeah. There's a great resonance. There's a dissonance really between Vader's black and the white of everything around him. It's clean. But also it's when the jig's up. You've been tricked. You've had. And and, and it's in that ten or fifteen seconds that the movie turns. Yeah. And so to answer Nathaniel's question, there are a lot of great scenes with Piet, for instance, when he gets promoted, that's like randomly a, gets promoted. Which that's is, a great, which is so funny. Like, and he looks horrified. That's a great scene. Which is, a, you know, there's a lot of like funny things like that in the like actually comedic. That's a good things one. Where he's like, Admiral. <laughs> Admiral <laughs> he's Piet. Like, oh, Jesus God. <laughs> um, Thank but, you, Lord Vader. <laughs> <laughs> But that, to me, to answer Nathaniel's question, the film student from Georgia State University, is that scene, that one scene, because it puts Boba Fett together with Vader. 
yeah. the first time since you see him on the Death Star. In yeah. some sort of mutual respect that's unspoken, Han realizes that he's fallen into a trap and that his friend, his old buddy, has betrayed him. And we know, even though they don't know, that Luke's about to fall into the trap too. I love that. That's a great So pick. that's that answers that question. That's a really good pick. I like that one. And it's for Empire, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a selection? You don't necessarily I do. have to have a selection. I do. I I well, first of all, I'm a huge wedge fan. So anything with wedge. I love that they brought Wedge back. Like, not only did they bring Wedge back, they put him early in the in the movie again. It's like you kind of see Wedge. Like, he saves Luke. He flies basically through a Tie Fighter and saves Luke in a new. I love freaking love Wedge, but um, I sort of love that underdog, like the guy you don't know. And there's a lot of mystique. He, Wedge is kind of like the the Boba Fett of the good guys. You know, what I mean, I always thought that's that. really interesting. I always thought that you know that you know just enough about this guy to kind of tease out your interest, but you don't know enough. You can't get enough. Super good at what he does. Right. He has a lot of respect within the organization. Right. A lot he's of in res- all three movies. And, but he's not a leader. Maybe a squadron leader eventually, but he's not like in, he's not in command. He's not a general or anything like that. Just talented and not, you know, not force sensitive. So, yeah, I, lo- I love Wedge, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of teasing, but I do love Wedge. I, there's two scenes for me in Empire. One is an emotional scene and one is kind of a f- sort of a badass scene. The emotional one is the one we all think of with the I love you, I know scene. I mean, that is just like takes this moment that's like breaking your heart and gives it a warmth. I think that's another thing that we didn't go too into with Empire, but there's been a lot said. Very good use of humor and levity. Not too much, but just enough to break it up as to not make things too heavy you know, who's scruffy looking and all the other stuff that's inserted throughout the movie. But I love that scene of the um, the chamber, the carbonite chamber. And I love, I really love the scene where, I mean, I'm a big Lando fan, but I really love the scene where they land on the platform and Lando comes out to confront them and there's that tension. It's so fun. You know what I mean? It's like, who... Who is this guy? The, Han and this guy obviously have some history. They seem mad at each other, but then Han sort of understands why he's mad, but then he's not mad. So Han's like relieved. So it's kind of, it's just fun. You know what I mean? I love, I really love that scene. I really love, I really love the whole Cloud City bit of that movie. I, I just love it. It's so good. And also, Nathaniel, I understand why it's your favorite movie. Did you know that I I was researching for the podcast and sort of trying to find facts that I didn't know? Empire rated Empire Strikes Back number three in their 500 greatest movies of all time. That's insane. Yeah, that that is. That's crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. That that's. I mean, that's quite the honor. Yeah, I mean, and and you can understand why. So you're in good company. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's not. It's certainly not a uh, a rare pick in, no. in, our, in in nerd culture and sci-fi. Certainly for the best movie or the greatest movie, unbelievable. Or one of them. Yeah, I, those are great. Those are great shots. The tension that's cut very quickly between Han and Lando is awesome. Yeah, I love that. But then it grows again. The, see, that's, yeah, that's what's right. so interesting is that because Lando betrays them, and Lando goes in again. We don't know until we have the hindsight to know that Lando knows already what's happening. The the, the Empire's already there. They're right. hiding. So there are no TIE fighters buzzing around and stuff like that, but they're totally there. And Boba Fett's there. The slave is there, ready to take Han to back to Tatooine, which is a nice full circle thing, I guess, for this story. But yes, those are great. Those are great. And and, and you can... God, there's a million great scenes. There you know? really is. And and I like that you touch on the um, 
the love between Leia and Han that kind of comes more to fruition because we don't we don't understand we think it's a love triangle At because that again point. we don't know that they're related right exactly and it makes it a little weird right and and that's fun to kind of examine in hindsight yeah um, but to see that you know and I think that I could be wrong but I think the I know line was ad libbed. Um, as well i think that might be true yeah i think you might be right about that it seems very harrison ford yeah like i think it's just an ad-lib you know and uh but i could be wrong like how Uh, can i make this better (laughs) right exactly you know and he did and because it's perfectly han solo you presume you know or he i must assume at that point he's gonna die so because i remember you know when they go into when he goes in the carbonite they check the data to make sure that he's even alive like they've never they've never or they're not supposed to freeze like humans and they, right and they and they do it anyway right it's not made it for seems that. like so it speaks i guess to han solo the fear that even boba fett has of han solo that they need to do that to him yeah oh that's a good point i never thought of that before like why why like that's just, a great... why wouldn't they just put handcuffs on him and just hand him over i love that like he can't get out of this one because you know that's because that is the scene where he's like, he's no good to be dead because you know so it is interesting like why are you why do you have to do this i to never him? thought are about you it that afraid of him sense it kind of makes Han even... You don't have to do much to make Han look badass, but that makes him more badass. I love that. I think. Very good. Very yeah. nice. Nice, so, nice all right, call. So let's explore Cloud City a little bit. Okay. Cloud City obviously is a mining apparatus floating over a, cla- a gas giant called Bespin. And what I love about it initially is like the it seems tranquil. So it's a cerebral place. The, the, the cloud cars are not weaponized. They're not fast. They're not right. intimidating. The color schemes are pinks and oranges and whites. Yeah. It's very, it's assuming in the sense that it's not assuming at all. It's unassuming because it's not, it's like the first place you see where I'm like, wow, this place isn't hostile. There's really no hostility here at all. There's a lot of hostility on Tatooine, not only with like what's going on there, but it's just a desert planet. Yeah. They're they're literally mining or, you know, farming water. Yeah. Because there's no water on the planet. And, you know, and then you go to Hoth, which is incredibly tumultuous and difficult and they're there because they think no one's going to find them because it's so fucking crazy there that no one would ever look for them they find them they find them incidentally by sending probe droids everywhere but they still find them and then you find yourself in dagobah which is a desert you know or a swampy outland sort of place and then and then you find cloud city which is like lulls you into a sense of security but it's like the least secure place and it's where everything happens to go down visually it's very off put you would never think that right no i like that point yeah, so I think I like yeah, it's it's just another new environment to explore. Yeah, yeah. And obviously you get by the time you get through Jedi, you realize that like they're very intentionally trying to like mix things up. You have sure. a, you have a forest planet in the in the third one and you know, it's it's like George I, Lucas I, was the master of that. Yeah, it's great. It's it, it's like a video game, you know, where it's exactly. like Exactly. That's exactly right. You don't, That's exactly right. You don't go to two desert planets on a video game. No, you got the ice stage, the lava stage and the desert stage. And right, you got exactly. the underwater stage. Right. Which, it's exact it's exactly right. And that's why with yeah with um with episode one even though it was a horrendous movie that they explored water so it's yeah we and so they're here they're exploring like the the ethereal skies and lightness and looseness and all that kind of stuff but it's so sinister what goes on there and how everyone's in on it now there's an interesting character and I don't know if you know who I'm gonna say that I'm <laughs> I know who you're gonna Lobot. say Lobot yes he's an interesting character he's like kind of like the lieutenant of lando's lieutenant or yeah i always saw him as that like a bodyguard advisor yeah Yeah, sort of his right hand guy yeah so he's introduced at this point he's not really that like that influential i guess but 
he's an interesting character that kind of just comes in yeah and has some power and he kind of seems to dictate the terms with the guards and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. They show enough of him to for us to ask, who is this guy? Right. I'm yeah, interested. So he's, uh, yeah, he's interesting. And obviously the Ognots are there, which are yes. these mysterious sort of, uh, they almost seem like an underclass. Yeah, I don't know. Are they like some kind of slave? Col- yeah, like I, I don't... Assembly line type guy? I don't know. It's a little confusing, right? In the sense that... Um, well, it reminds me, I know you haven't played it yet, but Bioshock it reminds me of that where like everyone goes to this underwater city to work, but then there just happens to be, as time goes on, this underclass develop of poor people or, or uh, disenchanted people that don't have skills. or, okay. or And it almost, it's like where this is a, Bespin is a planet, but Cloud City is something that's constructed over it. So yeah. were they imported from another place? That's interesting. I don't know, but we and I'm sure this is ex- is examined in the EU. But when you're watching it as a film, you don't really have that insight. So there's some interesting component to that, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You could yeah. start picking. Uh, dude, good points. Really yeah. good point. It's amazing. Anything that you that you could say that we haven't thought of yet. I mean, is a great point. You know, I never thought of that. So good one. So what 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 is your takeaway from Cloud City? Because it, mm. it, it's everything at that point's building. You. It's again. It's hard to look at it through the lens of not knowing exactly what's going to happen in every scene. But it seems like they. It seems like this is going to be a friendly place for them to figure it out. They go there intentionally because they think it's going to be a, a friendly safe place. haven. The Lando system. No, it's right. not a system. <laughs> right. Lando's you know? a man. Uh, yeah, and it's like and Lando. You know, comes, and not, not that I'm one of these people, as, as the audience knows. Not not one of these people that that. I don't believe in diversity for diversity's sake. I think you have to cast the best characters and, sure. and tell your story. If it's all right. Asian women, then that's fine. Whatever it might be. Right. But Star Wars was so progressive from the very beginning. Putting yeah. Putting a woman in a leadership role and in this badass role. She's the most... Leia is really the most badass character in many ways. And then they introduced Absolutely. a black character, a black main character in 1980, yep. which is which is cool. And sci-fi, that's not really something you saw. Um, and not people, enough. And people not point, enough. People point to The Force Awakens and to... Um, Obviously, Rogue One really kind of compensates for this as well, which is great. But uh, people point to, you know, uh, Force Awakens and The Last Jedi with Finn and with Rey and stuff. And I'm like, well, really, you had Leia and Lando first. This was already done. This was already this is this this was a progressive move from the very beginning. So there's and Billy D. Williams was a somewhat well-known actor. That yeah, he was board. already. Yeah. The other interesting thing is that from all of the characters in the movies that matter. So when you. For instance, like Neen Numb and Akbar are introduced in episode or in Return of the Jedi, episode yeah. six. Lando is the only character that's really introduced that isn't in a new hope that's consequential to the story at all. Through a long term. You can say Palpatine and Boba Fett to yeah. a lesser extent. Right. But in terms of the main cast, like when you think about you have Luke, Leia, Han, 3PO, R2, Chewie. O- o- Chewie and Obi-Wan. Right. Kind of encapsulated in this cast. Yeah. And they all travel through all of the movies, including Obi-Wan. They do. So Lando's the only one you add on to that. Yeah, you add him. It's interesting. When you it is. Up. That actually really is. I think it's good. I think it I think it was a good addition. I agree. And I think it, it could have upended the entire formula, the entire chemistry that they had they had made with each other, but it actually I think I think it actually enriched it. Yeah. In absolutely. Especially when you look at Lando's arc from meeting him then betraying them, then to redeeming himself, and all the way to leading the attack on the second Death Star as a general. Right. Yeah, he worked. Awesome. Their, people are working their way through the ranks of oh, a pretty man. rapid rate in the rebellion. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. So what do you have to say about Cloud City? Because I'm kind of curious like, what your take is on this. By the time we get to the, this point in the movie, the, again, 
we're getting towards the end. The yeah. Middle, to middle to end, especially when the action starts to pick up and everything starts to kind of go down. Yeah, exactly. I love your point. I can't get that out of my head of like something that seems like, you know, they're, run, they're on the run. They need a safe place to go. They find this place. Han's familiar with this old friend. This place seems so warm and welcoming and like the perfect haven to hide from the Empire. But the Empire is waiting for them there. You know, Landor has sold them, sold them out. So it's kind of the, the perfect juxtaposition between what you think the setting is going to be and what, what is actually happening. And the perfect setting for the duel and the secret that we find out as well. Which, may I add, this was my, I believe this was my first spoiler ever as a kid because the jerk bullies across the street that I grew up with ruined the movie for me before I saw it. Really? Yeah. I was playing in the street. I don't know why we saw the movie late because I don't remember Star Wars so much. I was three when it came out. Three or four. Maybe I was three going on four when Star Wars came out. I don't remember that as much. But I know I saw Jedi early. But Empire, for some reason, I don't think we saw it till like a week after it came out. And yeah, I'm playing in the street one day and the, the bullies across the street come up to me and they're like, guess what happens in Star Wars? And they're like, Darth Vader's Luke's dad. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, I was just like, you know, I wasn't watching, like, I wasn't reading the newspaper or like, you know, listen, you know, watching like news television and stuff like that. I didn't know that. I would have totally went and been surprised by it. That you know sucks. what I mean? That yeah. sucks. That was my first experience with that. Yeah, my first experience was. And now you just spoil jerk. movies for yourself. Now uh, I just volunteer myself. I'm like, you're, you're not going to do this to me, John. Whatever your name is across the street, I won't. I won't blow you up. You're but, the, you are the worst with oh that shit. Oh my god, I'm like so like when bad I what, like you ruin the Force Awakens for yourself. You ruin and last Jedi. And the, and the last but you Jedi know what it is, man. And not even to get off on a tangent about it. I know when after we did the podcast, I thought about it more. And you know why I do it is because. I'm so there's such a, we talked about this already with the arms crossed like all right show me like roll your eyes like show me something good there's such an anxiety for me now after the phantom menace and the movies to follow that I I have to I I feel like that's one way like I could just say all right this is what happens it's not going to you know it's not going to meet your expectations now you know now you could go in and like enjoy it without like getting an ulcer you know, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I really that's think fair. that's what, you know, but that was literally my first, my first spoiler. It is know? funny you say that just because when I saw the last, or yeah, the last shot I with, uh, with Ramon, which is, I saw like the weekend it came out or the week after it came out, but I didn't know anything about it, but I saw the reviews that were very mixed and people kind of bitching about it. And so yeah. I went in with that. I was like, oh God, you were already. Yeah. I was like, mm. and, and it wasn't in some ways not as bad as I thought. And in some ways way worse than I thought. Yeah. But this isn't about that. Okay. So this all culminates in the betrayal and then the fight. So the, ba- sure. the big two things that happen in Cloud City, I think, are when what we said before about our favorite scenes and stuff when Lando betrays, but he's forced to betray. I mean, he has no choice. No. He's kind of a sympathetic character in that way. You want to hate him, but you can't really hate him. They, yeah. And you understand that Han's mad because he kind of suspected something was up or knew that Lando, because of his past, was a shady character. Exactly. Or kind of like, you know, not is, somebody that could be capable trusted. of something. So there is that component to it that I think is essential to understand. And there is that one scene that leads up to Boba Fett taking Han away. But then the real culmination is when Luke and Vader have this this confrontation. Yes. That has been long coming between them. Absolutely. So let's take them one at a time. Okay. What do you make of this? And I guess you can kind of, I don't know if you can remember this, but 
you know Han's being taken by a bounty hunter yeah. to this dude who you don't know. Now, in the original story, as everyone knows by yeah. now, we are supposed to know who Jabba the Hutt is by this point. So it is weird that they kind of left it in without really explaining he's like a gangster and stuff. But we, we you're Jabba the Jabba the Hutt is in A New Hope, and yeah. they and they do put him into the special editions. He was supposed to meet Han on the the launch pad for the Falcon. So and what, precisely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So what do you what do, did you or do you make of that? Like this introduction of this like you this this character you know you're not going to meet in this right. movie, right? Like you know you're going to have to wait years to see this person. Yeah. This person or whatever it is. He was a person originally, but uh, but yeah, what yeah. he ends up being. I love Jabba. Yeah, me too. Such a great character. So what do you remember your feelings about that at the time? Like who yeah. is Boba Fett taking this person? I to? think I I think we knew enough because even in the original cuts of the movie, we had the Greedo scene in New Hope. Where he talks about you're not going anywhere. Job is wondering what's going on, like blah blah. And then we have the bit with Han Solo and the general. It was General Rykan or whatever in in Hoth, where he's like, General, like you know, I can't stay. Like I have a price on my head, and he's you know, he's like a price on your head's not an easy thing to to live with or whatever. Like, so we know that Han, there's a there's a perpetual arc, although you kind of have to pay attention, but there is a thing where we know Han's trying to get this money and get this this guy off his back because he owes somebody money. He's a smuggler and he owes somebody money. So there's there was enough. So I think, you know, as a Star Wars fan, even as a kid, I was so in- into the intricacies and everything like that. I, I paid attention to that. So I knew enough. So I knew that it was, da- it was dangerous. This could be it. Like Han, Boba Fett got him. He's out. And we see also see Boba Fett's prowess. There's that scene where I always forget about this, but I love it. Luke's finally landed on. He he leaves his training. He lands on Cloud City. He's out. He's got his blaster and his lightsaber, which is amazing. He's got both things at his disposal, and he's chasing Boba Fett's got his procession, Hans and Carbonite, and I get, I, get, I think there's some stormtroopers and some of Lando's people and Boba Fett, and they're walking to Slave One. They're, they're walking Han, the Carbonite Han, out. And Han and Luke's around the corner, and they go around, the, the Boba Fett and his entourage go around the corner, and then Boba Fett comes back and fires around the corner, sensing that he's being chased by somebody. And he's got to know it's Luke, right? He's got to know it's some, one of their friends. So that's another scene. It was like, how the hell did he know that? Right. You know what I mean? That was another thing. Like, who is this guy? How the <laughs> hell does he know this? So the danger was always really like a, was always really obvious. You know, that, that was always like a, re- that sets of urgency and that like those stakes were always really obvious. I felt like I, I never, I didn't even think I, I, we needed to see Jabba and New Hope. I'm not sure how much it bothered me to put him in. I mean, it was interesting. Boba Fett was there and everything like that. But it was always enough for me. I, I got it. You know, even as a kid. God, I guess I'm trying to recollect because I hate the special editions. Well, I don't hate them, but I just typically don't watch them. I don't have a problem with them. Right. Really. Greedo shooting first is, you know, ridiculous. With Han's little head thing. Yeah, it's like totally ridiculous. (laughs) I'll like never. I know that that's like a 20 year old fight. I'm not going to lie. I know, but it's still it's still it's still bad. That was like at the embryonic stage of the Internet, too. Yeah. Internet rage was but an was was but a a figment of our imaginations compared to what it is now. But uh, yes, I I feel like there was Boba Fett in the native scene of like because you know how yeah you know how it's like a guy in like a fur coat basically in the like Jabba the oh Hutt? yeah 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 and then they put they superimpose Jabba the Jabba the Hutt as we know yeah. him into the like digitally into the scene and so when Han walks around and he like walks over his over tail his tail and stuff like yeah that. is Boba Fett in that scene he's in that 
So he's in that scene natively in 1977. Oh, not in that. I, no, no, no. He's not in that scene. Because that, that scene's not in the movie in 77. No, but they filmed it. Oh, did they film it with him in that yes. scene? Oh, that's a good question. It doesn't look... People out there, that's if you know, let us know. But I don't... That's a great question. I'm not sure. It doesn't look like it was put in. But that's maybe, like really fascinating, isn't it? That like, if that's... I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I'll have to look after this. That is interesting. But it's interesting if Boba Fett was literally like a character that... Was already pre-thought of. Right, like that was... Yeah. Well, I just learned that. I didn't know this. I don't know. I doubt that's true. Because I... Did you know Star Wars was written, filmed, came out, and was out for a couple of years before it was even before George Lucas even decided that Vader was going to be Luke's father? That was never the original thing. No, I didn't know that. So we had a whole movie, and were able to, you know, it was able to marinate with us for a long time before that was even conceived. That idea, I never knew that. No, I didn't know that either. That, I just I just learned that in researching for the show. I never because I wanted to find out some stuff I didn't know. Right. And by the way, just for people out there that want you know, some great information about Empire or any of the Star Wars movies. J.W. Yep. Rinsler wrote three really great books oh, I have about to read the those. Star Wars books. Uh, st- making of Star Wars, Making of Empire, and Making of Jedi. I have to read Really, them. really good books. And I actually bought them on my iPad some years ago because they the digital versions, like the reader versions, have video and audio and pictures in them that the printed versions apparently don't have. So okay. go check those out if you guys want to. That's, oh, inter- that's, that's interesting. interesting. I didn't know that. So, so Boba Fett takes Han... And we know he's going to meet this gangster, this this powerful. We don't even know he's back on Tatooine. And again, that is a nice full circle kind of thing, right? Yeah. And it kind of makes the galaxy, this vast galaxy, seem a little smaller, which yeah. isn't necessarily a bad thing. And then we have this culmination with with on the deck somewhere else on Cloud City of uh, Vader and Luke. And what I love about this fight is that Luke is just way overpowered, way overmatched, and and draw and goes back to Vader's fighting with one hand. I love that, which is awesome. I love it. A really nice touch. This is it, it, it. This is what Yoda warned him about, and he almost gets killed. I so, believe he could have got killed. Yeah, if Vader wanted to kill him, yeah, I he would have so. been killed. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's to me. I feel like that that the the fight between Obi Wan and Vader in A New Hope is so bad, like from a choreography standpoint, yeah. and, and you know I, they're learning things. I, I know the, the the lightsaber. Obi Wan holds his lightsaber at a certain angle at one time when you can see it's a pole. <laughs> which really annoys me like you like there's there was no way for them to superimpose it i guess right but this fight brought to life the potential of lightsaber battles that's a great point i mean it's not like ray park fighting qui-gon and obi-wan and and, and phantom menace which is awesome yeah that's a great which is fight. fucking gnarly it's so fun but it is better than what we saw in a new hope yeah oh i totally agree yeah i think there was a really i think not only Lucas, but that whole group of filmmakers that were, you know, the posse, you know, Coppola and Lucas and all those guys, they were really obsessed with Akira Kurosawa movies and the old samurai movies. And I think that fight between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, that brief confrontation and and lightsaber duel between them and New Hope was very much, you know, a staid, real, more realistic samurai duel where they squared off a certain way. You could even look at the poses and everything like that. And I think they sort of started to get a little more of a dynamic sense of what it could be, like you said, and a little more open-minded as to be, all right, maybe these things have a different physics. It's physics. It's not a katana blade. It's not a samurai sword. So I think there was that. Absolutely. And I, I again, you know, like we said, the one, like just battering him with one hand, Luke just doesn't know what he's in for. I love Lo- that. And loses Good his point. hand, obviously, yeah. and loses his lightsaber. Yep, that's Which right. Which is an interesting wrinkle 
to the whole thing that is resolved when we learn more about the war again again in the EU about building your lightsaber about the crystals and how it's kind of a rite of passage and that was Obi-Wan's lightsaber so it's kind of it was really Anakin's lightsaber that Obi-Wan gave to him right so it's kind of like this sad like when you look at it through that lens that watching the lightsaber fall into the gas giant forever gone just you know never going to be recovered it's it's gone it's sad from like a, from a faux historical standpoint when yeah. you're like oh man but don't worry Maz gets it yeah, <laughs> he's gonna throw it over his shoulder anyway. Yeah, it's... I want to retract my statement. I don't think Luke should have thrown the lightsaber over his shoulder. I don't think I'm into it now that you said all that. Doesn't seem right. Yeah, I'm like that's it's not like... very reverent. No, it's a little weird. I mean, maybe, right. but maybe 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 they they treat this lightsaber differently, and it makes you wonder like how did you acquire this lightsaber, and also yeah. like how did you get it right. But then when we see the introduction of the green lightsaber, which is, you know, kind of like he's now a Jedi Knight uh, that symbolizes that or whatever in some way. And then, you know, we see that in Jedi. But there, there's a lot of loss there. He loses his hand. He loses his lightsaber. He finds out Vader's his father. Yes. We don't know. If, one of the interesting things that I never really thought about because we know it's true and we know how it plays out. And again, I just don't have that. You know, we don't have that that hindsight. Or yeah. I don't anyway, because I wasn't there at the time was I know from reading about empire recently is that a lot of people thought that Vader was lying that like yes. there, was, there was a prevalent theory that it was a lie. Right. Maybe it wasn't true. Yeah. That's exciting. Actually. I wish it, that makes me wish I was a little older when I saw it to be able to get, make that guess like, Oh, maybe he's making that up. You know what I mean? As a kid, you're like, what? That's a, you don't think he's lying. You know what I mean? Why would he lie? Like you're so trusting as a kid, you know, right. you're like, Oh shit, this guy's his father. That's crazy. You know it to be true. Um, yeah, it's uh it's, it's a, such an amazing dour moment to end the movie on, you know, it's like, what the fuck? I know. Just happened. Huge. Han's gone. Luke lost his hand, almost died. Vader's his father. The Empire is tracking them closely now. Uh, they blew up their spot on Hoth. It's like, what? Where do you go from here? When you look at, when you look at again, you know, going back to the question we were asked earlier from that Omar asked us oh, about man. the comparisons between yeah. Last Jedi. That is one of, again, and we and we touched on that then. Is that is that is a major comparison? Is that if you could draw one parallel between the movies, it's that. Wow, this is fucked up. Yeah. Now that's not necessarily again unusual in a three in a three act structure, but yeah. It's fucked up for different reasons, and it's actually not as dire in Empire as it is in some ways as it is in The Last Jedi, where they they literally have like nothing left. They even like use their ships as battering rams and shit yeah, like that. They it's have like, like one ship and seventeen people left yeah. or something. Like they're really on their last <laughs> legs. They're pretty high. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's there there is that parallel, Omar. Yeah, as we said earlier, but yeah, I I like that they ended it on that, and I couldn't imagine. Waiting three years for a resolution of that. Yeah, three think about that. Years. I know. I know. It's crazy. And what's sad, and I don't mean to be like ridiculous with it, but like people saw that movie and died before they were able to even know the resolution. Like there, there was you know, lots happened in three years. Like where the, one of the great stories in filmmaking was unresolved for some people and unresolved for so long. Yeah. Do you, do you remember? I guess this is more for when we talk about the Return of the Jedi, but yeah, an interesting okay. kind of thing to touch on briefly before we wrap up do you remember the rumors about jedi like coming out like what like uh, like as 82 ramped in 83 and you were a little older and you i know you were part of the star wars fan club and all yeah that i had the, i had the i got my bonta tracks newsletter which dad just did i tell you he found the whole box of them that's awesome i have all the newsletters that's from, awesome Those are probably valuable yeah i don't think i have any of the new hope like i wasn't in it that early but the empire 
newsletters and the Return of the Jedi, which I think I have some that say Revenge of the Jedi. That's cool. I do remember that, and I do remember the po- the Revenge posters because that's what they were calling it for a while. Some of those posters came out in the bigger markets, and of course, we grew up in a big market. We grew up in one of the big markets in the Smile Belt in the country, Long Island, you know what I mean? At the big suburb, one of the biggest suburbs in one of the biggest cities in the world. So we, we, they, those were actually hanging. I, I do remember that. And I've um, been so excited. Oh my God, I was so psyched. I remember Return of the Jedi. The thing I remember about Return of the Jedi, and we'll get into this more because I know we're going to do a whole show on it, is the line that wrapped around the movie theater. That's the first time I remember that. The, there was a line that wrapped around. We were standing in the back of the movie theater by the dumpsters. And the line went around back. The rest of the back, the side, the front, and in the doors. Was it at Brookhaven Multiplex? No. You know where I think we saw that? I think we saw that because Return of the Jedi was pre-Brookhaven Multiplex, I think. That might have opened in 86, something like that. R.I.P. Brookhaven Multiplex. I know, man. It's gone. It's very sad. That's where I played so many good video games in that place. And that's where we saw Fire in the Sky. Yeah. And TMNT and a bunch of other. And TMNT. Right. We saw a lot. We could could do a whole podcast on Brookhaven Multiplex. I know. (laughs) That would be the most riveting one of all. Stay tuned for that one. Our movie theater. No, I think we saw that in Quorum of all places. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the and you know I had the Return of the Jedi lunch. I had Return of the Jedi everything. I had Return of the Jedi lunchbox. I had Return of the Jedi bedsheets. I had Return of the Jedi. I had painted walls, but I had Return of the Jedi wallpaper trim. You know that top mm-hmm. foot that you do. But what Dad did, he was crafty, as Dad always is. He wallpapered all my stuff with it. So I had like a waste paper bin. I had like a coat rack. Whatever else, like maybe he I did. Remember like this, ba- I remember the, that remember garbage. I remember the garbage. Pail. It's like a tall garbage pail. Yeah, and he wrapped it with the with the. I don't so think I, I had, even realized he that made that into Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah wait, and a then he, guy, huh? yeah, he did the surface of my nightstands. I think with it. So I had Return of the Jedi everything. That I was all about Return of the Jedi, but Empire Strikes Back was still was still my favorite. You, you can I tell a quick story about Empire Strikes please, Back please and why do. it was so important to me? Okay, now as you guys probably already know, my name's Dagan. My parents were extreme hippies. My na- again, my name's Dagan. <laughs> so you can understand why my parents might have been hippies. That might be proof. You notice I don't say our, our parents were hippies because your parents weren't hippies. My parents yeah, were hippies. Yeah. That's so, true. They, they had changed by the time they yeah, had the by, by Also, I was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. But that's another podcast. It's like a year and a half, a year and a half. I'll do a whole podcast Six on years. That. <laughs> okay. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Not at all. But yeah, my parents were crazy hippies. And when I was young and I first started, the Star Wars toys came out a little bit like a year after the movie came out, right? Because they were behind. Kenner was behind. I haven't watched that. that um... Oh, Toys That Made Us. I watched the G.I. Joe episode, but I haven't watched that. Oh, episode. you didn't watch the Star Wars one? No. The Kenner one's excellent. You're going to love it. You're going to really dig that one. But what mom and dad did, being hippies, was, okay, you could have the figures, but you can't have any of the guns. Do you remember this? Yeah, well, yeah, they mom, took mom all the guns out of all from all my action figures and all the lightsabers, even like the retractable lightsabers and the arms and stuff. Right. They took them all out. But what happened was, and I was always like a little bit like embarrassed by it. My friends would come over and play like, where are the guns? Like, oh, we don't, you know, like always try to talk around it. Like I was going to be my parents are pacifists. Like we don't do guns. Like, <laughs> So like they're gonna just gonna be diplomatic. It was like the prequels. They were doing like diplomatic, like talking about <laughs> politics and trade federations and shit like that. See what I mean? But what happened was, little did I know, 
when I, I guess around the time Empire came out, and this might be why another thing, why that era and that movie was so special to me, mom presented me with this little toy treasure chest. I opened the lid up, every weapon of every figure that she took away from me from whatever Empire figures and all the original New Hope figures was in that chest. And she was like, you're old enough now, you could have these back. They saved them all. That's awesome. That uh, It was crazy. And I always kept all my... I mean, even through like collecting Transformers and G.I. Joe and everything, I cut, I cut, like collected all the little weapons and guns and put them in that treasure chest. So that was always like a special memory to me. You know, it was awesome. like it was that, that was the pay. It was almost worth it. Just it was like Christmas that day, like that random day when mom was like presented me with that, you know, epic chest. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh. it's, it's so different from when I grew up. We we I I remember this so vividly, and I remember because I have it still. I remember showing it to you when we were home when we went to, uh, saw Dad and Mom talk. We had an Uzi, a literal yeah. Uzi water gun. Yeah, that was b- before you like painted a little orange. Circle no, no, no. This it looks like, like a Uzi. fucking Uzi. Yeah, it had a clip. It had a clip, a yeah. water clip. You would yeah. fill it with water and put the clip into Yo, the Uzi, so and it would good. make noises and shoot. I love that. That's what I grew up with. So that <laughs> when was, I was five or six. I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> that wasn't even that long ago. It's crazy, yeah, right? In the late 80s, I was running around Marie Court with a fucking Uzi water gun. Uzi. <laughs> Twin Uzi. Like I'm in like I'm a fucking Israeli secret service agent. It's true though. I remember my friends my friends had like assault rifles and like AK and they looked legit. Like these things were fully sculpted like water, you know, they were I mean, I guess it was like kind of an early super soaker. Right. But yeah. Yeah, that was that was before you had to make everything uh, before kids were getting shot by cops God, because they so, had fucking so hyper-realistic Uzis. So uh, funny. Um, we have one more question okay. that I want to I wanna use from the uh, audience here. All right. Adam Nixch, and I think I'm saying that right, N-I-K-S-C-H, Nixch, Nixch. It's a lot of, that's a lot of consonants. Cool name. It is a cool name. But yeah. K-S-C-H is a lot of consonants put together mm, without a vowel. Mm, mm. Adam asks, do you think Lucasfilm will be able to make a new movie that tops Empire? Yeah. My answer to that is no. Now, I don't, I don't, if they did, that would be insane. So I hope they do. I hope they do too. So there are two different answers. I hope that every Star Wars movies, including Solo, which looks terrible, <laughs> uh, I hope every one of those movies is better than Empire. That would be a dream come true. Yeah. Do I think they will? No. You can't look at Empire and remove all of the elements that surround it. The yeah. nostalgia, the meaning of the movie, the time in which it came out. You can't remove those elements from it. So no. I don't know that even if they technically made a better movie than Empire, that we'd even know. What do you think? There's some magic and some witchcraft there. I don't think it would be nearly impossible. Listen, I'm like you said, I'm rooting for them. I think, you know, like you said last time we did a podcast together, we could sit here all day and pick these things apart. These things are difficult to make. The total is greater. You know, the, the sum of the parts, and you could say all this stuff. These are smart people. These are the best creatives in the world. They're they're trying. But I think Empire just captured a special kind of magic that is going to be a very tough act to follow. I, I just... The only way to possibly top it is to have a movie more perfect is to make a scene in there that's just as perfect with a with a middle scene that's slightly more slightly less boring than the Dagobah scene. I don't know. Empire is just a it's just a freaking good movie, man. And let me let me also say this. I sometimes I would rather watch Return of the Jedi because sometimes I'm 
sometimes I'm just, I think Return of the Jedi is just, I think Return of the Jedi is just a little bit brighter. It's a little rosier. There's some, I mean, the stakes are still high. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of action. There's a lot at stake, but there's, it's just more, it just has a more upbeat tone to it. I think Empire Strikes Back is sort of a heavy watch. But that being said, I think Empire is easily the best movie. Let me ask you this question. And I don't mean to, it's Adam, right? I don't mean to dodge Adam's question. I really, I really don't think, I really don't think it will be topped. I just, not as a, I'm not a pessimist. I'm sort of a, I'm, I'm sort of an optimist, but I have to be realistic about this. I don't think it's going to be topped. But let me ask you this, Kyle. Do you know any Star Wars fans that don't consider Empire the best one? Have you ever met anyone that's I don't a know. Star I'm Wars sure, fan? I'm sure in my passing at IGN and at Kind of Funny and just being a nerd culture and kind of embedded in an online nerd culture that I've encountered many people that have told me that they like X, Y, or Z better than Empire. That's crazy. Do I know anyone like in my life yeah. that I, whose opinions I understand and who I interact with? Right. No. Yeah. Like any anyone who I would consider a Star Wars fan, right? Yeah. I, I don't know that. So like Ramon's a Star Wars fan. We saw The Last Jedi together. He's not like us, but he right. thinks Empire is the best one. I, I so I'm sure people. I, I think I've heard and re- I read all sorts of things that people make the case for A New Hope. Yeah. Um. People make the case even for like you know Rogue Rogue One, and I think Rogue One is the only one of the three new movies and the six cumulative movies after the trilogy that is on the level of the yeah of the original three. I agree with you because I would go Empire Jedi New Hope Rogue One Empire Jedi New Hope and then Rogue One. And then I would go like somewhat of a distance Empire. and then Force Awakens. And then I'd go somewhat of a distance and then I'd go Last Jedi and then I'd go a great distance. And then you can have the prequels. Yeah, I'm with you on that on the first four for sure. For sure, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Empire Jedi, New Hope, Rogue One. Yeah, for sure. No question. Well, because it just seems like Gary Whitta, um, who I know, nice guy, Yeah, seems to understand what's going on in that universe. Yeah, um, he and does. I, and I, I think he, I, I could be making this up, but I think he's involved in writing another one of them. Oh, good. Another anthology movie? I think so. Film? I thought oh. I saw his name somewhere connected to something, but I could be making that up. Well, so he seems pretty it. locked into what it's all about. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He's a little mysterious. Like, I remember when he came, you know, I've, I've met him, you know, many times. Yeah. And he was more Greg's friend than mine, so I didn't have, like, a personal relationship with him. But he was always... I remember him coming in, and basically, when when we didn't know anything about Rogue One, we didn't even know the name of it, um, we knew he was writing it, and he was basically like, don't ask me anything. <laughs> you know? Like, he couldn't say it. Yeah, yeah like, he's course. like, well, because like, I, I can't even imagine... Oh, yeah. That's NDA, the NDA all day. that they have oh, to... And, and we have a saying, which I'm sure you guys do too, an animation called Friendier, which is when people sign things all the time i know all sorts of shit yeah that i shouldn't know i know yeah. all sorts of things that i shouldn't know right games that are still not announced from all over the place yeah people we are very asking, good about that you would never no no i wouldn't i mean I, I remember i remember people were surprised when i came out and was like playstation 5 games are in development right. i know that because i know people making them right so am i supposed to know that no wow but yes ps5 games are in development that's insane and so you might want to listen to me when i tell you when ps5 is coming out right I think I could think of one of them that's in development. Yeah. Yeah. So you know things, and uh, yeah, he, I, I. But that was one of those things where, and sometimes when you know things, you still press people. Yeah. And that was one of those things where I was afraid for him. Okay. So I was like, never. So I would you never, I like never broached that time. Like you know, yeah, because what we, I don't have a relationship with him, and even if I did, yeah, it's like if his own wife probably didn't know what the hell was going on. So it's like, yeah. yeah it so that's really serious. serious stuff. So hopefully, sure. but he did a really great job, and he, someone else wrote, co-wrote that. So I don't want to give him all the credit. All right, we've gone. This is a long one. It's over two hours. 
Is it really? Yeah. It feels like we've been talking for a half hour. It's yeah, two wow. hours and seven minutes on my counter here. Wow. So that was that's great. I'm sure the audience is going to love it. Good, audience, good. let us know what you think. Uh, obviously, leave in the comments uh, below here on Patreon, or I'm, I shouldn't say here on Patreon because I'm assuming you're listening to it on Patreon. Definitely consider supporting the show on Patreon at any level that you can. Uh, Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. We've revamped, and by we, I guess I should say I have revamped the uh, Patreon tiers. So even supporting at $1 gets you an exclusive episode of uh, either Fireside Chats or Knockback every month. $2 tier gets you allows you to vote for topics for Fireside Chats, which is the conversational pod. I'm sorry, not Fireside Chats. You get to vote for SideQuest, which is the video game show, and topics for Knockback. And, uh, and then you go on from there. $5 tier, you get the show six days early. You get Fireside Chats three days early. So there's lots of reasons to support it on Patreon if you'd like, but you don't have to. You can listen to it for free on podcast services of your choice, which you might be doing right now. Yeah, and remember, you can go to soundcloud.com slash CLSknockback if you want to uh, see the latest publicly released uh, episode, which then should syndicate to iTunes and to Google and all that kind of stuff. So uh, keep an eye out for that. You can follow us on social media that the kids use today. Uh, I'm on Twitter at No Taxation, and I am on Instagram if you want to follow me there at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is Dagan1973 on Twitter. That's D A G A N yeah. 1973 on Twitter. And Dagan likes to draw yeah. on Instagram. That's 10 years before I was born, right? Yes, yes. It was. T- you're, you were. Yeah. You're, you're only 34 years old. Yes. Yes. You're a young. You're a young man. <laughs> yes, I am. You're a young man. Please. Uh, Dagan, thank you for joining me. That was a fun inaugural episode. Again, keep the feedback coming. Let us know what we did right and wrong. We want to make this better for you. Uh, each and every episode, we're kind of just flying by the seat of our pants, and I think this episode worked out great. So, from my perspective, but obviously the customer, I had fun. Is typically right. I'm glad. Thanks, you had fun. Kyle. Yeah. Thank you. All right, guys. We will see you next time. Bye. Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Joel Dape, Ahmed Alloways, Ray Ann Shinabarger, Eric Bartolotta, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Robert Bosch, Spencer Bran, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, John Burns, Alex Cabrera, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancado, Matthew Canoy, Cesar Cardoso, Shermore Carter, William Cashel, Enrique Cezina, Jay Shandarlis, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Michael Clancy, Benjamin Clark, Dan Clifford, Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Will Curry, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanicos, Drew Dixon, Luke Drake, Nathan Duong, Travis Ellison, David Ellis, Patrick Feeney, Eric Finkenbeiner, Michael Fior, Tyler Fitch, James Fitzpatrick, Mike Francis, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Eric Gee, Daniel Glassford, Ben Gluckman, Tyler Goodwin, David Gurley, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Dan Halligan, Tyler Harris, Christopher Hendricks, Wyatt Henry, Andrew Hess, Jordan Hood, Stephen Hopkins, Joshua Hunt, Steve Innerfield, Steven Insler, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Paul Joyce, Jeremy Key, Nathaniel Khalil, Alex Cloden, Troy M. Kuhn, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Juan Lesh, Jim Leggett, Patrick Leslie, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Devin McMasters, Joe McPartland, Albert Miranda, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Mark Morrow, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nixch, Andrew O, Ramses Ortiz Estrada, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, 
Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Christian Phillips, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, John Quinn, Daxish Rana, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Tanya Renner, Alex Reyes, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ryan Robertson, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, James Schmetz, James Schubert, Chris Schulte, John Scholes, Chris Schaefer, Mike Shaw, Toby Schutman, German Sidhu, Brian Silva, Alex Simmons, Riley Smith, Jordan Smith, Jared Swave, Alexander Suarez, Ahmed Tamar, Zachary Thompson, Gio Torres, Tam Tran, Michael Trees, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Chris Wong, Aaron Watts, Michael Wells, Tyler Woodall, Benjamin Worrell, Jake Wochak, Corey Wyatt, James Zimmerman, Steven Stanchewski, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Mad Mock Media, Beric, Mubarak, Tynamite, Bowen76, Chris, and Donk2015.